and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is currently sitting right in front of me. Tom, do you mind if I try it real quick? Go for it. Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with your host, Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. I am Matthew Robinson sitting across from me today, the one and only Tom Donnelly. Welcome right. back, Tom. Do you really want to? You, <laughs> is that what you're going to go with? Really? I just wanted, you know, I just, you just, you felt like I you, just miss the action, man. You know, oh. it's like, like, do you ever see Hurt Locker? Yeah. You know, and he comes back and like, he just can't fit into regular society anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I am with this podcast, man. I want so back. You, I want to go back into the Hurt Locker. Kind of first blood. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I'm in, the, I'm in the jungle with a knife between my teeth <laughs> and I'm ready. I think we're gonna have to rock you to you. I think we're just gonna we're gonna have to take you wow. back to your roots, okay. and we're just gonna have to to, to bring you back because you you're you're not you're not the man you used to be. Trey, okay? po- Trey posted a picture this weekend from Strategicon with me playing a board game and said Maddie came out of retirement. I ne- I'm not in retirement. You're I'm totally not, in retirement. In re- <laughs> retirement means I'm not. I'm gone. We I'm played. Just on, I'm on. Hiatus. We played six games with you in the last seven days, and it is a record for months and months yeah. and months and months and months. And I can't count the number of times I was playing the game with you, and you seemed genuinely shocked at <laughs> actions people were taking. And I could see the, the gears in your head were like, wow, this AI is playing really well. Yeah. Like, the, this was uh, the AI was pretty on point this, this week. <laughs> the Automa. Was uh, was amazing. An incredible automa I played against this week with real humans. I mean, you were you were you were cursing. You were yelling at us, and we're yeah. like, "Dude, we're people. We're we're physical people that are playing a game with going, you." Why isn't it my turn already? <laughs> it should always be my turn. <sighs> but yes, uh, I I am not officially back yet. But this week I did get to come to a game night, which was lovely, and I got to spend all day Saturday at Strategic Con. Um, I will be back. I'm thinking. I think we're about one to two months away from me being able to come back to regular game nights. Awesome. Yeah. Meaning, meaning the game night at my office once a week. Sure. Uh, two game nights a week. That's going to be a while. And, uh, but yeah, I think once I can do regular. So you're saying nights, that you're not going to be able to make my game night, only your game night. Well, but how you're going to make wonderful. my game night. <laughs> are you going to abdicate the throne? Do you see, are you do gonna, you see how unfair that is? Are you going to abdicate the throne? Are we going to have like a Trump situation here where I'm like, have to kind of like, you're like, I'm not giving it up. You, you We might have. Like, to f- I don't, I don't trust the votes. We I'm, might I'm not leaving. have to fight it out. We might have to figure out. We might have to game it out. Yeah. And figure out and how we like, do this. I'm back. And you're like, I'm sorry. Who is it? Um, new, big, big new phone. Who does? <laughs> Oh, uh, we'll work something out. We'll figure something out. Who knows? Who knows? Tom, let's talk about board games because I love talking about board games. I am the game enthusiast. You are. And you I am, are the I am game enthusiast. I am enthused. You would think a man would slow down with two children uh, with his gaming, but I have, I have more games on the brain than I've ever had because I, I get more less opportunity to play. I, I did not slow down at all when I had two kids. No. I did not slow down at all. If anything... I craved that uh, that, yeah. that that time with friends. No, my addiction is in full swing these last few months. I mean, it, I am I am buying games. I'm so, I sold twenty five games this weekend at Strategicon. We'll um, but yeah, that's what I that's this is how this is how I feed my addiction. I call about twenty percent of my collection a year and probably buy thirty percent. So I, pro- <laughs> I probably add ten percent to my collection every year, but I sell twenty percent. It's true. You do more of the buying and selling. You and Jennifer both, you guys buy probably 30% more games than I buy. Well, because I have this theory that I'm 
I get my money's worth because I sell it and I usually get about 60 to 75% of what I paid for it. And I'm fine spending a rental fee for a year of 25% of this, the market price. I'm totally fine with that. That, that makes sense to me. I can see that. I, I think that makes sense. I, I think for me, I kind of have a, for me, I don't even want a game in my collection, even for a short period of time that I'm, that I'm not likely to keep. Yeah. And I, I do think that, that my, my picker is a little more specific these days. And I'm, yeah. I, I sort of, I don't know. I, I feel like I get a good read on things and I, I, my category of, Oh, I have to buy this is, is narrower, smaller than, uh, than what you were Potentially, but there's been a handful of games in the last year that you would have never gotten back into if I had not, uh, like Tricarion, which now we, I, is a classic. Yeah. Well, I will say this. I will say that when the collector's edition came out, yep. uh, if you had not gotten me into Tricarion, I would have gotten uh, really? it. Really? Cause I feel like you then, had written it off. Oh no, no, no! I knew okay. that it was a well-regarded game. It okay. was just—it was one of those things that uh, that I missed. I will say that I never would have played Everdell for sure. Right now, that wasn't a game that, that you got. That was a game that was gi- that was given to us. Yeah. Um, but I never would have played Everdell. I had heard good things about I would it, have but never I played always Everdell. thought no way. I would have never played it if not for this podcast. And now I love playing it with Rachel. We've been playing it regularly, and it's uh, it's become sort of our couple game. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Let's talk about board games, Tom. Well, let's let's talk about what this round is. We haven't even discussed that yet. This is turn off five. Off my game. Extra turn. We're doing the extra turn. So this will be a stripped down episode. We will not be doing the the news. We'll be not not be doing a, a lot of that sort of stuff. We're going to be talking about basically two things. Two things only. Uh, we are going to be talking about the games that we played at Strategicon this weekend, and in particular, we're going to do a little bit of a dive into Oath. Because Maddie printed and played Oath. Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile, the uh, as yet unreleased but recently kickstarted game by Cole Worley. Uh, my, I will say this. I'm not saying Cole Worley is my favorite designer, but there is no designer who gets an instant buy from me faster than him with no reservation because I huh. know it will be something fascinating. And yet you do not own John Company. Because you do. That's true. Fair enough. And because it's $100. I almost bought it this weekend for 80 Somebody had a new one shrink for 80 and I just went, why? 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 I could just borrow from you. You could just borrow from me. Yeah, exactly. It's a silly exactly. $80. If exactly. you didn't own it, though, I, I, I would have You would have grabbed it. it. Yeah. And I don't have an infamous traffic either because that, I would have bought the Holland Spiel edition, but I know he's going to be putting it out again. He's going to be putting it yeah. I don't feel like double yeah. dipping. I think it may be a year or two before that comes out, but I, I think. But it'll we, I be... think we've got enough Cole Worley to keep us Absolutely. busy until then. Yeah, I don't feel the same way about uh, uh, Cole. I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm not a Shiite about Cole Worley, but I, I definitely, definitely admire the guy and admire his game designs. He is putting out, he's putting out more different games yep. uh, than the current trend in games than virtually anybody out there right yep. now. And I, I admire the heck he's out of that. I think that is, space. I think that is super important for the for the health and longevity of the hobby to have a wider gene pool. And Cole Worley is is contributing a lot to making that gene pool wider. So he uh, he had a game on Kickstarter, a very successful Kickstarter that just finished a few weeks ago, as we said, called Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. And it um, he released the print and play files for it, uh, not just to backers, but to anybody. You can go and download all the print and play files. I just sent them off to Kinko's and spent an afternoon one day uh, laminating some stuff and cutting some stuff and throwing things into sleeves and uh, got myself a copy. This is not the final copy, but he said no. it's pretty close. Um, you're missing about half the card pool, maybe actually 
two-thirds of the card pool, and you're missing, obviously, whatever development will happen to you now and then. But he says... He's still tweaking things, right? I mean, he's 100%. still... This is still... The graphic design, I think, is the place that, that the tweaking will happen the most, and, and a oh, handful right? of cards and, 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 and balance issues are, are the things. But he, I think the rules are pretty locked in. Is that right? Yeah, he said about 90%. He's also said this is the game of his life. Huh. This is the game that he has uh, dedicated... This is the most important game to him that he's ever designed. Well, we have descended upon Matt's house and played this game over there, and we played it twice at the, at the office, and then we played it at the con. We're not going to review it, but we're going to we're going to talk about it because we played it enough, and and it's it's been it is the game on my brain for the last few weeks. So it's definitely something that I feel is worth talking about. And we're going to uh, give you genuine first impressions. We're going to tell you how it plays. We're going to tell you what it's like. We're going to tell you what we love about it, and we we're going to tell you if we have any any, any concerns. And, and we're we're going to phrase them exactly as that because we have not played it nearly enough to. Yeah. To, to really no explore the space. And I'm glad we're doing this after the Kickstarter. I don't like either hyping or unhyping a game that's not finished bef- during a Kickstarter. You know, you can't Agreed. buy it right now, but uh, but hopefully it's something that you're interested if you kickstarted it, I think you'll be interested to hear about it. If you didn't kickstart it, you might be interested to hear how we feel about it now and then when it comes out next spring or sorry, next spring, next fall, um, you might have some more thoughts about whether you want to check it out or not. And then after we talk about this, we're going to talk about our topic for today. Our topic has actually been requested by several people uh, over the last few months. People were saying, can you guys talk about teaching games? Can you give advice? Can you talk about how it is to teach games? Um, there was nobody I, I could have here other than Matt at the, uh, at the con yesterday. Uh, you taught two games. I taught two games. <laughs> we're the guys. We teach, we teach pretty much everything, and we've taught things under... Perfect circumstances and under completely less than ideal circumstances, and uh, I think we have a lot. We I think you and I are both pretty good. You know, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I think we're pretty good teachers of games. Yeah, I, there are a few things that I consider myself an expert in. Probably two things, <laughs> and uh, I this I think I'm an expert at teaching board games. I think I've been doing it for ten years. I think I do. I think I pride myself in how I do it. Uh, I still think I have areas I can improve in, of course. But I feel like I've probably taught. 5,000 board games over yeah. 10 years. Um, and I, uh, I, I'm very confident in it and I like to do it. And to me, it's half the hobby is teaching mm. games. Just like reading is half the, the, the job of being a writer. And the second thing for Matt is parallel parking. Uh, if, you've, <laughs> if you've never watched Matt parallel park. It's actually doing the worm. It's on the dance move, the worm. Believable. Yep. The worm? Yeah, the worm. That's Perfect. the other thing I'm an expert. It's wonderful. It's amazing. So let's go right into it. Let's talk about what we did this weekend at Strategicon. What is Strategicon for those who don't Strategicon know? Strategicon is the local Los Angeles convention. It is. Uh, it goes from Friday around noon to Monday around 5 p.m. On the uh, 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 There are three of them in the year. There's one that is on President's Day weekend. There's one on Labor Day weekend. And there's one on Memorial Day weekend. If... Uh if Essen is a heavyweight boxing championship in Las Vegas, Strategicon is a back alley fight between two homeless people. <laughs> it is a small. Is it a I, I, I would say I would I would I would give it a little more credit than that. No, I love Strategicon, think... but it's not it's it is not an event that you no know, you would not travel to Strategicon. It unless, is a, oh it, no, that's not true. Well, I, have, I have plenty of friends that travel, but to not Strategicon. from far. How far are they coming from? Phoenix and Tempe. Oh, okay. that's a six-hour drive. It's, that's not okay. bad. That's right. not bad. All right. All right. All right. 
I'm just saying. You know, right? There's Look, not a lot of international travel companies for teachers. I, I say local say board game convention. If I even accept your metaphor at all, which I barely do, <laughs> I will say that it is a backyard wrestling match. Yes, 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 yes. That they sell a good amount of tapes for yeah. and gets a lot of views it's on YouTube. Indie wrestling. It is. It yeah. is fun. It is fun. Um, we all wore our game brain t-shirts so we we represented but then i realized we're not really representing that much because we're pretty much just sitting at the same two tables <laughs> and we couldn't have played games with anybody because we had such a strict schedule we had to stick to of these long heavy games we needed to play yeah i blame you yeah probably. i blame you because this is this is different than most other times we come to strategic con most times we come to strategic con we can do whatever we want this yeah. this was your parole day this is your conjugal yeah. visit with us yeah so it's like guys these are the games i need to play half are for the podcast half are for me and we have we have 16 hours to play four four hour games and Let's you go. you sent me a text and said I want to play these four games in one day. Do you think it's possible? Yeah. And I texted you back. I said, we're going to, we're going to no, do you our said best. A man can dream. I, I said, a man can dream. I said, no, but I want to, yeah, I'm, I'm being snarky, but yeah. I was, I was dead set when I arrived to get four games done. And we did, we did. We didn't get exactly the four. We got three of the four that you wanted. And, and the fourth, we had to swap out uh, instead of BIOS Origins. Yeah, uh, we played the new Demacher purely because of numbers. We had five, not four. Correct, exactly right. So uh, we arrived at eight fifteen to set up and a. play AM on a Saturday to an airport Hilton to an airport Hilton to the I'm, basement of an airport Hilton. And my my secret par free parking place does not exist anymore. I had to pay for parking. Oh no, $10. Oh, how did you survive? Do you understand how painful that is? $10 for 16 hours of parking by the airport. Pretty do, good. Pretty do good. you understand my my Irish relatives? I could hear <laughs> them wailing and keening over the moors. Yeah. At the fact that I paid for parking. Strategic on parking is wonderful, but you do have to arrive. Like literally I showed up at 8.15 and there was about two spots left. I was on, I was on sub level six oh, when I found a parking Bottom space. level. Yeah. And it was like, and I was, and I was, my heart was racing when I got down to sub level six. Cause I was like, oh no. Cause the worst possible scenario is you got to go all the way back up and now <laughs> you're in trouble. Uh, the first game we played was 1862, which I was dying to play. Now, 8.30 AM. At Strategicon, trying to get a game of 1862, that is not going to be possible unless some arrangements happened. And uh, I made sure to be the concierge to make Maddie's dreams come true. I made sure that Jennifer, who plays a lot of 18xx games, was was there and ready to play. And she actually played 1862 with me a couple weeks before. Um, and friend of the pod, Ben Mandelker, was uh, was said he was totally in to play as well yep. and did us the favor of reading the rules. So the rules explanation that we gave, that I gave, was only about a half hour long. Probably should have been more because we messed Interesting up. Interesting that we're for this episode, yeah. Messed up big time. Messed up big time with with one of the rules. But we'll talk about I mean, I think when we get into this, we'll talk about this because the, that's not necessarily bad if it's a learning game like because because sure. we ended up really learning it almost because of that mistake like that really yeah. like but anyway yeah we we were playing without a major rule which uh severely ha hampered uh ben and i's uh entire strategies strategies exactly right um and we played that game to around noon i don't know I, we we're, play, we, we're we, about we, to review this game yeah. i mean this game probably will be the the, the next the, the review of the next episode you, you or so. with jennifer Yes, exactly yeah, right. Great. Our so, first 1862 review. 
I mean, our first 18xx review. 18xx review, period. Yeah. <laughs> Many, every week will now just be an 1862 review. I will say we had, uh, we, had, we had someone come up and say, I saw you guys playing 1862. I'm a hardcore 18xx gamer. Uh, a young woman who was totally in and wanted to exchange information so that she could get on the 18xx uh, uh, train with us. And we were like, holy cow, that's amazing. Fantastic. I believe her name was Jack. Jack it was. And uh, we will follow up with Jack because 18xxers are not easy to find. No. Even in major metropolises such as Los Angeles, we are still a niche within a niche within a niche. Even among professional board game podcasters. I mean, you would think if you have nine of them that are in a group, you would think you should be able to put the 18xx on the table. But no. We have three and one audible. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we are always looking for more opportunities to play 18xx. I will say this. I had a great time playing 1862. So did I. Absolutely it was uh, a, loved it. It was a learning game. Very much so. Very and much I so. now feel like I could sit down and play it. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's pretty good for one game. Like every 18xx is a learning game of that game for the first game. Pretty much. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be. Uh, the only exception would be uh, there are some that are so close so to close others to that if you've, that, that if you played. 1879, 1889 things like that exactly yeah exactly like that um after that the next game that we played was we played the expansion to railroad revolution railroad evolution Ooh, that's a that's a spicy medium weight that's hero a spicy there. so if you're keeping track that does mean that we spent the first six to eight hours of the day playing nothing but train games yep um, and when you, when you go back to older episodes, you will hear us say some, uh, not so flattering things about train gamers. And yet we were, <laughs> <laughs> but we were playing very Eurofied train games, both of them. 1862 is not tremendously. I think as far as the 18xx universe, it is quite yeah, Eurofied, I mean. Eurofied it's still, but it's still, it's still completely obviously 18xx and 18xx game, yeah. but yeah. Um, so once again, we'll be talking about this in the future. I will say this. I'll say that, uh, what's your game, uh, put out railroad revolution a number of years ago yeah, and give, give them the backstory of this. Cause it is an interesting backstory. This is a game. Uh, what's your game puts out one game a year. Usually, yeah. Usually. They put out games like Madeira. They put out games like Guangzhou. They put out out really... Signori, Nippon, Loot Island, which is their first sort of filler they put out one year. Which we loved. That that came out the year we were at Essen. Reef Encounter is a classic game from back in the day. But but their their greatest game of all time is Madeira. That is their their all-time classic. And gold standard. New version coming out this year, which we're all excited about. So uh, their designers, mostly mostly Portuguese, uh, their designers who did Guangzhou came out with Railroad Revolution and everybody leapt on it because these guys are good. They're making really good games. People started playing this game and very quickly the boards at BGG started to fill up with people saying, I'm not sure what's going on here. But it seems like we're, you know, Houston, we have a problem. There's only one other game I've ever seen that had this strong of a, oh boy, it's broken problem. And that would be uh, the uh, Two Acres of Snow, the Martin Wallace game. Yeah, that, that one definitely definitely has a problem. There, There's plenty of But that of was others. when it was like new games from, from very established companies or designers and people just find something that, that totally got missed in uh, testing. 
you know, I, I think it's one of those things like at Vegas, it's really hard to remember the times you lost a lot, but you always remember the times you, you won. I think we tend to not think too much about the the big board gaming mistakes that were happening. I will just say that uh, the first edition of the Game of Thrones game by Fantasy Flight had a situation in which uh, Greyjoy could kill Lannister with the with their opening two moves and right. basically end end their game. Right, right. Uh, which uh, unforgivable. It's it's crazy. Another Fantasy Flight game, Twilight Imperium Third Edition had so many problems that there was just the the errata was longer than the rule book right. at, at a certain point so it does happen it does happen from time to time but but in the in the euro space which we're talking about here like in the hardcore euro space the, these were uh, the, there was a strategy a western union strategy that people would play and it's not like it's some secret strategy it's like one of the main avenues of getting points in in a game that has a lot of different ways of getting points the word point salad is sometimes a very negative thing but it is a little point salady in terms of the way the game works people were saying i don't understand how to do how to how to play this game other than just go all in on the western union strategy right and the the designers did a good job because they they fairly quickly addressed it and said, okay, instead of having to pay fifty and a hundred for your Western Union uh, uh, stations for for that sort of thing, make it five hundred and a thousand. Which, by the way, right there is a huge admission of okay, that's you know that's a huge you know that's a factor ten change yep. to address a problem in the game. Uh, and all be all that year. At the German board gaming championships, where people come from all over and and play, the winners of that game, and by that I mean tables and tables of the people that won yep. that game, they all still won with the same strategy. With the with the same strategy, even with the revised with the revised cost. So, you know, I, I hate to use the word broken, but the game was the game was broken. It was a and it was a heartbreaker because it was a really interesting design. It had a lot of really cool things. Agreed, because yep. they just erased the problem from the new version. They did, they did. And uh, listen, we'll do a full review of it later. I will say I had a blast yeah. playing this. It was probably my favorite game of the day, as just as a new game I hadn't played to play, um, and it was. Just, I mean, it's just one of those medium weight euros that you're excited to play again. And after we've been playing such heavy games, I've just been going through the heaviest phase of games in the last year. Yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy. And True. even playing just a medium weight euro feels relaxing now. Like, or even <laughs> sorry, even a medium heavy weight euro. I mean, I'd say this is medium. This is the heavy side of medium weight euros, and this is just barely. I don't. Yeah, I think I think this is. I I, I and maybe it's, it's because a three, we're playing it's a three point five zero. But it just felt like. Like I understand everything about this game in, uh, in the first play, and I'm just like, it's a relaxing feeling. We talked about this. We've talked about uh, the heaviness rating is a difficult thing sometimes yeah, 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 because yeah. what does it mean? Is it is it hard to understand how to play, or is it hard to get a great strategy going? Yeah, I've spent the last three months reading Phil Eklund rule books, rule books almost <laughs> exclusively, so everything feels like a 2.0 now. Uh, I would love to get your views on his uh, tale of two islands in the back of the Bios oh, Origins story. I read it too. That oh, was, I read it. Oh boy! But we but we but we digress. Uh, needless to say, 
Railroad Revolution was one of those games that was that was looked so promising and then was 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 kind of crushing because I really enjoyed the game and then yeah. to realize that I couldn't play that to be able to several years later come back to it play it again yeah. and have it be and have it seem to work exceptionally well was a real treat a real treat yeah and uh, you know after one play we can't give you any kind of real feedback on no. it other than that we very much enjoyed it and my initial feeling is and as a, someone who never played the original one but read the rule book and understands completely what the mistake is that they made in the design previously it does seem an initial play like it's been addressed yeah I, I'll say this I'll say that we had a pretty good first playthrough for it because we had four different strategies being pursued in the game. So one person was wailing on this aspect of the game. Another person was wailing on a different aspect of the game. We were wailing on different things. So we were essentially, you know, very much like Paul would do. We're, we're, we're probing for weak spots. We're probing yeah, for what this works best. Um, and so far, no one person wailing on, on one aspect of the game had any greater breakthrough than anybody else. So, yep. Looking good. If you're interested in it, you can also just look at it on their website, Railroad Revolution or Railroad Evolution on whatsyourgame.eu. Third game we played was Oath. We're going to talk about Oath in just a minute. So all we'll say about it is the first time we played Oath, we played it with five players. Second time, this one, we played four players and it was a much better experience. I I, I think you you said it. You said that uh, you probably four is the sweet spot. Yeah. I think you're probably exactly right. I will also say this, and this feeds nicely into our theme today. I hate teaching this game. It's a tough one. I do not enjoy the teach of this game. Would you rather teach Oath or On Mars? Oath. <laughs> I will never teach On Mars again. I would. I will only um, play On Mars with people I have who have since, already been taught. I have since taught uh, taught another group of people On Mars, I, uh, and uh, I'm getting better at it. I think there's. I think there's ways to teach it. Well, but it's I've, tough. yeah, and it's this is also one. something we'll get into. I think this is one of those games where you really just do have to teach, and then you just start playing. Yeah, and then you know yeah. you just tell them you're going to have a rough game, <laughs> but look forward to game two. And then last but not least, we played the new version of Democker. Um, which we're going to be doing a review of. There's already posts going up on Facebook about it. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. Um, uh, it, it, the hold on, it, hold on, hold on. Your favorite game of all time. Yes. Just so people don't know, Democker is Tom's favorite board game of all time. The number one game on BGG, not in terms of ranking, but in terms of the first game ever added to the database of Board Game Geek, a game from originally 1986. The first, and by the way, the first American review of a Euro game mm -hmm. was a review of Democker. And it was written by Jennifer. That's amazing. The very first. I mean, just I get chills thinking of having her on our podcast. Isn't that amazing? I mean, she is royalty. Isn't she, is, that amazing? she is board game royalty. She really, really is. Uh, yeah. And I, I will say this. It, it's not even close. Like nothing has ever come close to dethroning it for me. So it, it, there's a gulf between number one and number two. Which makes it, which puts me into a very difficult position yeah, because course. I'm, uh, I like to think of myself as being able to be pretty darn objective ab about games. 
and to step outside of myself a little bit and to see, you know, I hope, I hope in the reviews that you hear me give, I try to tell you my take, but I also try to say who this game might be right for and to try to put myself a little bit in the shoes of other gamers and see where the fun might be here, there, or the other place. This is a tougher one. This is going to be a tougher one because they have taken a great, what I consider to be the, 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 the be all end all of game design. Um, and, monkeyed with it yeah. monkey with it considerably i will say this i was half asleep after dinner when we came <laughs> to our fourth game and i woke the f up for this game because i was into it and i was my i was like buzzing and st- i spent half the game standing up which is always a good sign i'm just like standing up checking out the board i'm so in it i'm like thinking i'm like it really it engaged me fully at for you know, we we began at my tenth hour straight of board gaming. Uh, uh, side note: I got four and a half hours sleep the night before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was dead exhausted, uh, but and I had just eaten dinner and sat down to to the D mocker teach, and I was like, "This is gonna go." I, I it, halfway through the teach, I went, "I might have to pull out." But then the minute the game stick started, yeah, stick with me. I it's was gonna be. it woke me up, and I really enjoyed it. I I think that the theme helps. Uh, and by that, I don't mean the German parliamentary election system, but it's about elections. And as long as you understand that all the little tools that you have in front of you, all the little pieces you have in front of you are parts of a campaign. Once you understand what those parts are, the game becomes very intuitive very quickly, which is, uh, which is a blessing. And that has not changed from the original. Deal. Here's what I think is strongest about it to me. Mm-hmm. It has a very satisfying gameplay loop. And the gameplay loop is long. Each loop is the whole round of the game. And each round is very long and labyrinthian and complicated Mm -hmm. and goes through many different phases. But each phase of it is very fast and very understandable and very intriguing. So there was a thing where I kept needing to go to the bathroom. And I kept going like, all right, I just finished my turn. I'll go to the bathroom. And I'm like... Oh, I can't go to the bathroom. It's going to be my turn in three seconds. And this part's interesting. Yeah. And then we do that part. And it's like, oh, now we're bidding for this. I can't go to the bathroom right now. I kept having that moment where it's like, my, it was never, I was never out of the game. We say that about Rondel games, right? Rondel games tend to be micro actions, yeah. right? It's micro action, micro action, this micro feels action. like micro actions. It is a little bit. And, and the thing is, is that each uh, election has nine steps that you go through. Yeah. And each one of those steps, most of those steps are battles. To yeah. some degree, most of those steps are, are trying to outmaneuver, yeah. outflank, and make a better choice than your competitors in that in that election. And this is a this is an elbowy game. I mean, the, yeah. people were taking shots, and people. I mean, people were getting mad. People. I mean, there. You know, you are. It's got. It doesn't have that much take that per se specifically, but it does have. But but well, it, the media, there were the media markers can be rough fighting over those. Sure, 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 and and publishing a poll that that yeah. that oh. hurts you can That's, be a can be a was, bad yeah. bad thing. I will say this: given that I, uh, given that I love and adore this game so much, and having publicly I already said when I read the rules of the new game. Uh, it raised the it raised the hairs in the back of my neck, and I was like worried about it. I was worried about this game. I came into the game with a little bit of trepidation. I will say that I will not. I will be much less trepidatious about my second play of this game. Yeah, I think that uh, while I have a lot of concerns about it, I also think that the that the decisions were not made willy nilly, and that. There is some solid thought into into what this game has become, and I think you have 
proof now that a table full of people who have never played the original yeah. will really have a good time playing this version. I hope so. So maybe ignorance is bliss there. I hope it, it could very well be. I, I, I will say this. On my way home from last night, we did 16 hours straight of gaming. Mm-hmm. I sold 25 games Ooh. and I bought three I bought a copy of Space Core 2025 to 2300, which mm-hmm. is a GMT game. Not an 18xx at all, like you said. It, it couldn't be less of an 18xx. I think you might be thinking of something else. Oh, maybe I am thinking of something I think else. you're thinking of Space Empires, perhaps. Um, but no, mm-hmm. this, this, is, this, is, this is a 3x. It is, it is a 4x without the exterminate. Um, gotcha. And it is uh, it is not 18xx and all, but it's got an it. interesting game, and I mostly got it because it's uh, got a, a wonderful solo mode, apparently. I picked up a copy of Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, How the card the game. How hell did you find that? It's not even out yet. I don't know. The guy was like, I don't know. I just have a copy. And I was like, How, what, what, what? And yeah, it was a great find. I'm glad to have it. Obviously, Lorenzo Il Magnifico is one of my favorite games of all time. I'd probably put it at number two, number three, somewhere in there. So very excited to try the card game version, which I think people have said is really just a very thinky filler. It's like splendor for people who like medium weight euros. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I'm think tr- it's going to blow anybody's think socks of- off, but I think it is a, it is. If you want a 45 minute filler and you also like heavy thinky games, this you're going to, you're going to enjoy this more than you would something like splendor. Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, I understand the need for a designer to do brand extension and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I get it. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm having a hard time coming up with a, thinky board game a board game that i love that a card version of it came out that i that i well, also, funny is it's not, that I also it's not really a card game i don't know why people say that it's not it, that's just if anything you call it a marble game because that sort of seems like <laughs> the, the main focal point of it are these strange little marble diagram that you're playing. so you have these italian hippos yeah, and much. they're trying to <laughs> it get is those marbles the only board game i own with a with multicolored gumball shaped colored sort of marbles in italian the game is called manja manja marble yeah <laughs> Uh, and you know, what was the other game I bought? I bought uh, a copy of the Farmers of the Moor expansion for Agricola. Cause I and really do you have the copy of Agricola that goes with that Farmers of no, the Moor expansion? No, <laughs> I just was able to snag it for a price where I couldn't say no to. And I was like, well, eventually I'll get it. So, yeah. so, so for those who don't know, uh, Agricola came, back, came out back in 2007 or 2005. And uh, more recently, they made a new edition. Yeah, Uwe Rosenberg went back in, much like George Lucas would, to his Star Wars franchise and edited and tweaked and uh, simplified and also rebalanced some of the cards. And virtually everybody I knew looked at all of that and said, no way. No, but no, the I'm, Agricola, keeping, I'm the keeping my original tournament one. scene all went. That's yeah. the only version that exists now. So I, yeah. I would prefer. We only have one with... person that plays in tournaments. And I know, that's, but, and that's Jesse and, but, he, and he won't play an Agricola tournament. But the fact that the tournament players think this is the better version of it that they want to play with makes me want to. No, I agree. Like well, listen, but, but what I was going to say is that, uh, I said, yeah, there's no way I'm buying a whole new copy of Agricola just to have these, these small changes. And then Jennifer, yeah. uh, purged her 25 games, uh, earlier this year. Right. And gave me a sneak preview of what's on the list. And sure I enough, snagged it. Dirt cheap. She was uh, getting rid of. Well, not dirt cheap, but cheap enough. She was getting rid of the newer edition of yeah. Agricola and the Farmers on the Moor expansion, and so yeah. I have picked them both up as well. Lucky. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, this was my favorite day of Strategic on ever. I've been going for probably eight years, and I, I said it to Dimitri on the way home. This is the best, most satisfying overall Strategic on day I've ever had. 
It was a blast. It was a blast. Now, I, I think some of that is is the fact that that you've been you, you've Just been Jones and for gaming. There is no meal better than <laughs> a starving man than thinks star- everything he's eating <laughs> is exactly. filet mignon. Yes. We've, uh, I mean, we've all gone to Costco hungry, but we had a game we've night. all seen what happens. I went to your game night on Tuesday night uh, as well, and we played the new version of Underwater Cities with the t- uh, the what what is it called? Something Discoveries, new Discoveries expansion, new Discoveries expansion, exactly. Uh, right. And that was also an incredible experience because uh, another game we're going to be reviewing very shortly. Ooh. So, so you 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 got in for your one week of freedom. Yeah, you got in some good stuff here. Yeah, my you got freedom, in a bunch of the reviews we're going to be so doing. Those with children who are going, how the hell did he do this? Uh, my wife's parents are in town. <laughs> well, and you treated your wife to an amazing weekend pr- uh, previously. Yes, I threw my wife's 40th birthday and, and brought all her family and we had a huge celebration. And so she was um, not that, that I, I always hate when men talk about their wives like, like she let me out of the house. And like, no, we don't have that kind of relationship. We love each other and we're equals and we each other's happiness is, is very important to the other. So it's not like I have to like convince her why I want to do it's happy. It's more just like she's like, I would love to you, to you to go to game night as often as you want. Someone has to help me put these children down i totally get it yeah so. yeah yeah. my wife is I, I think we both married well we have very understanding wives my wife is like i want you to have deep male friendships i want you to have people that you can hang out with um male loneliness and male isolation is a huge problem in in this country and probably a lot of other places so she understood the value of that she wanted me to to have these experiences but when you have a young kid, it is all hands on deck, yeah. and it has to be all hands on deck for a period of time until things start to start to coalesce and start to become more manageable. And yeah, that was the same thing happened with uh, same thing happened with me. I think yep. it's just natural. Let's talk about Oath, dude. Mm. Let's talk about it. Tail of the tape. Oath is going to be a 2020 release. Uh, Cold. I early. would bet no. 2021. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, with, with what's happening with the Chinese factories right now, I think, I think you should add three months to everything. And I think they have it coming out in like September, October. I would put, I it, guess it's true. We don't, we don't really know with COVID-19 what's going to happen. Yeah. So. I'd, I'd put it at January, February, but yeah, um, either way. Yeah. Maybe you'll have it in a year. Maybe exactly. You'll have, you'll have it in a year. It is. Oh shoot. No, their estimated delivery is January, 2021. Oh, oh, so yeah. Well, it, forget it, about it that. Be, no, it could okay. be next spring. All right, so a year from now-ish, we should be seeing this game. We're going to have some some plays under our belt by the time we get there. This is a Cole Worley design. Uh, as, as we just mentioned, Cole Worley designed PAX Premier. Matt's number one game of last year. Might have been my number one game of last year. If, if Raj I, didn't exist. No, if I had, if if my uh, rating cr- criteria would have allowed it. Oh, I see. It's because yeah. it was a remake of uh, an earlier yeah. PAX premiere. I disallowed it. It was uh, not a, I felt a, it was something that I could do. Different enough. But well, yeah. the moment the moment you said it was different enough, I was like, yeah, you know what? It probably is. I probably should have. But yeah. I, I, that wasn't that wasn't where my headspace was when I was coming up with my list. So. Sure. Um, Most famous for Root. Uh, a game that I adore that that I that I think the biggest problem with that game is it requires regular play. It's almost Gloomhaven levels of like you need to have a regular game group that plays it to get into the meta of it, which probably kills it for our group. But it's it's a game that I and the new expansion. I really want to play the new expansion with you because he has rebalanced everything. And there's a completely new system for the way that you pick the teams that play against each other. There's three new maps. I always found the original map to be a little boring, and the new maps have really fun rules. I think it's something we should take a look. I'm at. I'm in. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I think it's also something that deserves a review. 
the the new the new factions and the new boards. Okay, I got no, I have no problem with that. My, I, I think I agree with you one hundred percent that my issues with root isn't isn't just that, but to large extent, it's we is every single time somebody is learning how to play a faction and we're, yeah. we're never getting that's a great why i play. hate it i know because they're always going like all right after the game well now i've learned it now you know we should play it again so now i can actually play to me it's a pulse Atachic game in that it is a game that is as much about the players at the table as about the game it's really a game of diplomacy and factioning and making teams and backstabbing and it is a it is a social game i mean it's a game that you almost want to play with the same headspace as avalon yeah i think that's i think that's largely true um i i do think that because it's a uh it's a race game uh multiplayer race games have issues yeah they have they have that so many of them get down to that position where uh, everybody needs to stop player A or yeah. they win right now. And then because we stopped player A, we spent a little too many, too many, too many resources and therefore player B was able to sneak in and, and, and get that win. And that's, listen, that is a problem with that, with that kind of design across s- the board. Right. And you could say the exact same thing about every PAX game too, which is, which they're also, you know, specifically sort of racist to specific things where you can see it's about to happen and everybody can try to stop it. But to me, and yeah. I think, I think Cole really likes those kind of end re- resolutions because they are, they become exciting knife fights. But I think, I think the better you get at those games and root as well, it's, it's knowing that that's going to happen, knowing that you're going to be in position to win and have having making sure that your engine and and everything you have can deal with that much pressure on you in that last round and still win. Totally agree. The only thing I'll say about that is that lots of times that it doesn't matter how great your engine is. It has to do with, with what is the timing of how many resources people are spending to stop you. Yeah. Well, hopefully that, means, that, that comes down to balancing. So we'll, yeah. we'll take a look and see what he's done. Let's, let me explain Oath. Tell, tell us tell us about Oath. So Oath is, when I said I hate teaching Oath, it's because w- one of the main ways I like to teach is to teach games to gamers. And gamers usually have frames of reference for things. I can go, this mechanism is like this from this game. Mm-hmm. This is like this. I'm out in the wilderness with Oath. There is I can I can almost point to nothing in this game and go it's like this. Everything is like teaching a brand new mechanism in a lot of ways. I am um, It's got some it's got some packs in it. It's got a yeah. but it's, it's got, got some a John bit. company. It's got some John company in it. It's got some root in it. it Absolutely. It really does have some of all Absolutely. of those things, but it, but not none enough of where it, I can go None of it has this. more than 20% of anything. Yeah. That's true. So Oath is a um a campaign based game that does not require the same group that does not require any um tracking on paper does not require any legacy elements of ripping things up but it is a game where every single time you play it it will change the next game you play so if tom and i and a couple people play a game of oath at the end of our game there will be some changes that happen to the game that the next time we play it will make the game play differently as drastically as the victory condition can completely change. And as minimally as six cards from a 50 card deck are swapped out with six new cards and, and a million other things in between that can be tweaked and changed as you play. Now, 
I could then go off and play four solo games by myself, each one changing the game state, changing Mm -hmm. it this, then have four new people come over. We sit down and play it. The whole point of it is that it's always this long evolving thing. And the theme of it, which is lovely, is that you are watching the generational change of a society. And he, with the uh, Kickstarter copy of it, it comes with a journal. And part of the experience of the game, I think, is keeping a journal of the way that the, the world has changed and creating this cool history. This is, in a lot of ways, a game about history and not the history of a specific place because this is a fantasy world that does not exist. But it is with all, the cute animals with and the such cute of, animals and yes. root style kind of stuff. Um, but this is this is a game about history, about how history is created, about hist- about how things change, about how the world changes, about how you know uh, one person can affect the future with rippling butterfly effects that go on for generations, and how then one person has the power to just utterly in one generation change everything again, and how the histories uh, can shape civilizations and what that feels like. So I think that let's say that the main thing that changes between games, the biggest thing, because locations will be a little different. The order in which, uh, different factions are valued is going to change. But the big thing is what are we competing for? That's the main difference from game to game. I would disagree. Really? To me, the biggest thing is there. Who's chancellor? No. So, Tom's talking about changing the victory conditions. There are four possible victory conditions. And at the end of a game, under specific uh, conditions, the winner can decide what the victory condition will be for the next game. It might be a game they don't even play. Right. Um, But they can decide what the next victory condition will be. To me, the biggest thing, and I think the thing that's really designed to feel like is there are six different suits of cards in this game. Mm -hmm. Each suit is a different play style. Okay. There's the aggressive suit that's all about war. There's the suit that's all about defense, as simple as that, and getting as complicated as there's the suit that's about manipulating magic or manipulate. They all do different things, right? Mm-hmm. The game starts with a balanced 54 card deck. The yep. winner can take certain cards out from a suit and then go into what will be a minimum 200 card stash that's broken down into. Uh, into suits and from those suits start adding in new cards. So the deck that starts out is balanced with all different strategies after game 11 could be 75% one strategy now, which will that in the entire game is your cards, but each changes six cards change, right? But over time, the balance of that deck becomes the story of that civilization. Sure. You know, oh, this card, the, the the small amount of aggressive cards in there come from a government from 400,000 centuries ago, <laughs> and they're still there that haunt the deck every once in a while, right. even though we've done our best to weed those out. Understood. Uh, uh, the point I was making is that from game A to game B, right. as opposed from game, game A to game E is a very different thing, right. Right, but right, from right. game A to game B... Uh, those six cards are going to make a slightly different feel to the game, or maybe not. Maybe not even a different feel at all, because in a lot of games, you're only going to see about half of the cards that are yes. that are in the game. But Less, what what yeah. will feel like a very strong departure is when the game changes victory conditions. Yeah, that that is that is the, the biggest game that thing. Changes a huge huge difference from from A to B. The the game that you just played to the next game that you play. Correct. Yes. But I, I to me I think the goal of this design is 
how it feels from A to G. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's what Cole's designing towards. Sure. So let me tell you about how the game works really quick. Very simply, it's three to six player game. Uh, there will be a solo version. I don't believe two player is going to be supported. I don't even know how that would work. I think three to six. We tried five. That felt like a lot for a learning game. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even. I would never want to try six with a learning game. Um, four felt good. Haven't tried three. Probably would feel good as well. Uh, the issue with three might be so. One player plays the chancellor, and right. he is the government. Right. So yes. everyone else plays the exiles, and they are the people that are fighting against the government. So we're all competing for pr- uh, primacy in what we're competing uh, against in there. Right. It's but, not quite asymmetrical. One person, the chancellor, has wild powers, but also a huge negative as well. Sure. But that's still asymmetric, right? No, no, no. Yeah, but I'm saying but everybody else is is has the same powers. Correct. Exactly right. Um, but the, the thing is, is that the chancellor and I... I think this is one of the most wonderful things about the game can entice exiles to become citizens yep. to bring them over to my side and to now become... and now your pieces are their pieces and what you rule they rule and they have some of your powers and and you can use and if and if and and, and if if they achieve the victory condition you get the points for it which does a great thing for reducing the threat of the exiles yeah but it creates a new threat which is you are now competing against your own citizen to have the most prestige in your own in your own kingdom and if they if you if you as a unit because the two of you are together you are one thing you will represent the kingdom yep. if the kingdom wins the player who wins is whoever has the highest prestige at that point, which is very interesting. And this is not a, yeah, this is not a coopetitive game. This is not a, okay, join my kingdom and now we all win together. This is only one person wins. So the chancellor will need exiles in order to become citizens because the chancellor, while has while starts in a place of power and has a lot of advantages, their biggest negative is they only get two actions per round. I wonder if I needed uh, if I needed a uh, citizen to to join me in the last game. I was in a good I was in a good position. I was messing I was messing around and exploring the space, but uh, it was yeah. a game that that sort of was coming up roses for me as chancellor. Yeah, which which from what we're hearing anecdotally isn't generally the case. We're hearing that that uh, a lot of chancellors playing this game seem to have a a tough road of it. Right. Um. As an exile, and the though, reason is, let's just say, the, let's yep. just say the reason. Uh, the chancellor has advantages. The chancellor's advantages are that he has all of these. Or she, uh, he or she, the chancellor has more. They have more units than everybody else, so they can put more units on the board in various places. And they, they can, start the game ruling, and a they start million the, places. They start the game ruling at least two. Yeah, uh, they can also attack anywhere they have their units. Right. Whereas Usually, everybody else yeah. has to have their main piece, their pawn has to be in a location in order to attack that. Um, they have uh, they have other special abilities like they, their um, popular support is doubled in the in the most popular category. Mm-hmm. So they get they get a, a, a bump in terms of that as well. So they get they have a lot of advantages, but they have one crushing disadvantage. The exiles get to take three actions per turn and the chancellor gets to only take two right so you are 33 percent weaker than everybody else and as we all know from playing euro games i mean action economy is probably the main economy of most games or at least one of the most important things getting extra actions is almost always important and the chancellor has no way to do thematically it's beautiful you are you are in your 
castle and you cannot you cannot get out there and do as much you've got you've got to rule you're you're mired down in the day-to-day goings-on of a of a bureaucratic system and you are going to need to entice people to go and do your bidding and if you want to win but then by offering them power they now have a chance to usurp you and you have to worry about them and invariably it works this way because in the first game matt was the chancellor in the second game i was the chancellor um Dimitri, I would very much like you to stop being in exile and join me in this kingdom. We can share power together. Aren't you tired of sleeping in the mud? Don't you want to come in? Don't you want to join me? And of course, Dimitri, even though he promised that he would be open to it, never even entertained it for a second. Now, of course, he was playing very well and he was doing he was close to winning on his own. Uh, But that said, I got elder, though. I got Elder. And now the thing is, is that when Elder was going to come over, of course, everyone else says, don't go, don't join him. Yeah. Because look, he's got eight prestige or he's got nine prestige and you start off with zero prestige. You're going to get crushed. So I have to make a deal with him. I have to say, okay, Elder, I'm going to give you five prestige, which means you're going to go up to five and I'm going to go down to four. So you're going to be, so if you join my kingdom, you're going to start with more prestige than me. In other words, if the game were to end right at this moment, yeah. when you join, you win. Right. And then we have to figure that out. And, and then you each have to have your own little secret ways of sneaking prestige out while, while still pretending to be friends. I'm because oh, Because if the chancellor doesn't win, it doesn't matter how much prestige you have. You both lost. Exactly so, right. So... You're fighting for prestige, but you also need to win the game together. Yeah, we have to help each other. We have to work together. But at the same point, we have to work Only together. Way. And yet, I got to be doing a little bit better than you. Okay, so what can the exiles do? The exiles, then, they're trying to win the normal game. But that's going to be tough because the chancellor is already stronger at winning the normal game excuse me, the normal game than them and can start enticing other people to help. And then once the chancellor has citizens, good luck winning the game the normal way. The exiles though, and this is my favorite little bit of, of, of theming, they can have a vision of a future government. A vision can come to them as a magic card in the deck into their hand. They can have this vision and see what a future could be, what the next, what the world could look like in a hundred years. And if they can bring that vision to life, they instantly win the game. These visions have a different backing to all the other cards in the game. In our in our case, we just marked the, marked the sleeve. Yeah. Um, but it means that when you're drawing the initial cards, when you hit a vision, you stop. Yeah. You take that vision, and that is it. That and everybody knows you have a vision. Now, they don't know what vision you have, though. And the visions, there are four. There's five, because one of them isn't actually... Uh, game and condition it's just a one-time card one of them is a bonus as opposed to a vision right but the four visions are the four different possible victory conditions and so at any time an exile could flip that over and say if i achieve this victory condition i win now they can't do it until three visions have been seen which is also a nice bit of theming that, that some time has to have passed there has to be multiple people who have their own differing views of how the future could be formed Once three visions have been seen, at any time, at the end of your turn, an exile can flip over that card and go, if at the beginning of my next turn, I am winning by this victory condition, I instantly win the game. But everybody everybody else gets one shot at you. One shot to take down the king. Now, what this also means, though, which I love, is that you can't sleep on any victory condition. Because at any point, 
someone could flip over that card. And if, and, and, and if you've been ignoring that victory condition the entire game, you're not going to, in one turn, be able to deny them that. Which is why I thought I was doing pretty well, because I got the uh, dark secret victory condition locked up. Yep. I had a lot of territory, so no one was going to grab that from me. The one that we were competing against, the main victory condition for our game was popular support, and I was crushing that as well. Yeah. It was in, in pretty good shape. Yeah. Against uh, a bunch of noobs who never played the game other than me. But sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, Elder ended up winning the game because I, I had him join my join my team and I gave him too much prestige and didn't realize he had a prestige engine of his own to play. Yeah. And Elder won. Elder won. You made him a citizen and then he, he snaked it from you. Um, let's, uh, we, we've given a good enough an idea of how the game works, what it feels like. Um, let me tell you quickly how I feel about it. So I'm, I'm wildly enamored with the game. I am very excited at the prospect of a game that I, that I, as the owner of the game, will track the history of this world and see how it changes. And maybe when I bring it to the table with some new people, I can uh, quickly bring them up to speed. Oh, we had a, we had a, you know, this man who, who, this person who ruled with an iron fist and it was this brutal, evil, battley world. And then that person was usurped. And now we have this very sweet, kind sort of, uh, you know, intellectual society now where all we care about is, you know, the, the stock market and, uh, <laughs> you know, who's more pop. Then we have this very, you know, then we had this, you know, really superficial world where all that mattered was who was the most popular. And <laughs> I want to be popular. And then people became obsessed with the dark secret and it became the one ring that everyone was willing to murder <laughs> for. And you can get these great stories, but also I really enjoy the mechanics. I re the, we didn't even get into the, the military battle system, which is absolutely bizarre and insane. And instead of, and instead of you, instead of me going, Tom, I'm attacking your army. I decide what I want my life's work to be. And I decide Throughout my life, I want to conquer this piece of land. I want to to make Tom move to another place. I want to steal the dark secret, and I want to destroy that army. And you pick all the things you want to do, and then you find out if you actually can do them all. And the more things you choose, the greater chance that disaster will That strike. you'll get none of them. Right. Uh, the bad the, things will the, happen. The campaigning is action good. is fascinating. It is very good. The stock market which exists where all six suits have sort of a value that is a closed economy, much like Pax Pamir. And you decide where the money goes by putting it on certain cards to do actions. And that can totally fluctuate the value of different suits. That's brilliant. I love that. Um, I hate teaching this game. My one hope is because it is, it's a long teach. Yep. It's an arduous teach. And, and any new player you teach it to is going to have a rough game. And gotcha. I, I, that's how I feel. So I'm really hoping that, uh, there is some streamlining in the in, in the rules mm -hmm. and in a way it can be taught. Um, the graphic design needs a little work too. It's it's hard to read from a distance all the cards you need to be reading and all the things on the locations. Um, but I am very, very excited to to explore this game. And I love the fact that it's something I can explore as a solo player and then bring it to a group, mm -hmm. try it with three players, try it with six. Um, will it have the same problem as Root wherein if you're not playing it, 12 times a year, it's going to just collect dust? Possibly. Um, my view is a little more nuanced on it so far. We're two plays in, so nothing here is definitive, but here are my thoughts. Um, I love the asymmetry of the game. I love the, more than Root, this has a very asymmetrical play in that one person represents the state, everyone else represents the people that are fighting against the state, but 
I can corrupt you and bring you over. And I don't corrupt you through actions. I don't corrupt you through card play. I don't corrupt you through getting, you know, some marker up to level 10 and then I, and then I corrupt somebody. It, it is not gamified. It is diplom- It is diplomacy. Yeah. I love that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I, I almost wish that the chancellor was more different. I almost wish that becoming a citizen made you more different than you were as an exile. Yep. I wish there were more uh, uh, disparity between the two, the, the two styles of play. But that's a minor niggle because I think it's a really great, great thing. I think yep. it's a really well done thing. Um, as far as what you're saying about you know, five plays later, oh, this card is in here because of this thing that happened. The problem with that is kind of the problem with these games in general, which is that really only is going to speak to somebody that has played a lot of them. Right. No, this I agree. So this, to me, is a game where that's a 54-card deck, mm-hmm. and every game you see 25 to 30 cards of it. Now, if you and I played eight games of it, we would know that deck very well. Yeah. We would know, oh... Oh, that card. I, oh, I won a game with that card before, right? We would have relationships with those cards. Yeah, and when we had a relationship with one card yeah. because it came up because I, I got it two, two yep. games in a row. And when six new cards come in, mm-hmm. when any time one of those new ones comes out, it's like, oh, that's a new spice <laughs> to this soup, right? <laughs> and so to me, that is a very exciting thing. And something that uh, Cole said was his favorite part of Pax Porfiriana. If you read, and I, I highly recommend you read Cole's designer diaries for Oath. If you go to mm-hmm. Oath's page on BGG and you click on news, you will see all currently 16 of his designer diaries. It is a fascinating read on his life's work of this. He's been working on this game since he was very young. I already looked at it. Yeah, I did. I didn't read them all. But I read some yeah, of them. Yeah, I yeah. saw the Pax, the Pax Porfiriana. Yeah, saying which, that he loved that there was this huge card stack, but he only plays with, he, he will play with one chunk of the deck and he'll play with it for months and then he'll then he'll swap some cards mm-hmm. out and so that was sort of where he came up with this idea he loved the relationship we had with those cards and then when you add some new ones in it's like oh so many new strategies yeah and actually this game reminds me more of pax porfiriana yeah. than it does to any of the other pax games because there are literally in pax porfiriana there are four factions and by factions in that game there are four ways to win yep and at any given point, you are doing great in one faction, in one win condition. You're doing horrible in another, and you're doing mediocre in two, depending on, on the way you go. Uh, this game plays very similarly. I like very much that there is a condition, victory condition that is grabbing the most territory, mm-hmm. that there is getting the most popular support that there is getting the royal favor and that there is one that deals with magic, which is a rare resource that you can get by eschewing the other main resource, the influence resource. Instead of getting influence, if you're getting enough influence, you can instead get magic. And uh, that's, that's a very interesting thing. My biggest problem with the game right now is the, is the cards and the way the cards work. Um, this game is full of blind drawing, and I think it might be an issue. You are constantly, you don't have a hand of cards. So I don't have cards that I'm looking at in my hand. When it is my turn, if I want cards, or if I want to do something with cards, I have to blind draw them, I have to look at them, I have to read each card and get to know them, and then I have to play. 
that impacts the pace of play that, until until people yeah. are until people are familiar with everything yeah. and we should never go into assuming that uh, that's a problem the other problem with that is that uh, in terms of uh, in terms of play that is a very reactive play style as opposed to a planning play style mm-hmm. it is very hard to plan when you're getting when you when a lot of what you're doing is going to be dependent on blind card draws and the luck of the draw and what you're getting right and you can't plan on that uh, to use the example of Pax Premier or any of these the Pax games have a, lo- a line of cards that are available there's a market out there of cards that you can choose and as you're playing as other people are playing their turns i'm looking at the cards that are in that in that offer and trying to strategize, what am I going to do next turn? Which of those am I going to target? Which of those do I hope nobody else takes? Which are the ones that I have to play against because somebody is, is going to grab them? Yep. And a large part of the game is strategizing on that. We don't have any of that here. We don't have a hand of cards, so I can decide what I'm going to play on a future turn. And we don't have cards that are visible and face up that are cards that I can get. And because of that it creates a weird situation that 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 for me might be a bit of a problem because uh, it's things that it's a, lar- a major part of the game is something that is completely blind to me until it's my turn. And then what I get, I get, and I just have to make the best with, with what is right there. And it just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a problem for me. Let me speak to that. So first thing I, I couldn't agree more with, and this is my biggest uh, negative with the game right now, is I think there is an action in the game, which is the action you're doing more often than not, which is the search action, or I think they've changed it to being called the play action, Mm -hmm. where you draw cards from a deck and then look at all those cards and pick one. Now, what happens very often in the beginning of this game is you draw six or eight or even 10 cards. And that person then sits there and reads six or eight or 10 cards and picks one. And this- And it's even worse than that because- you could use a lot of your actions to draw eight cards. You pick up one card, and the second card is a vision card, and that ends that action. You've yeah. wasted all of the rest of that because blind luck just well, happened to ha- put that in your... That doesn't bother me because if you're doing that early in the game, you are, you're taking a huge dumb risk, maybe, uh, because you know there's two in the first 12, so you, you, you should be able to do the probabilities on that and know your chances. Well, but the probabilities would say go for six cards, and then you get in you, you get in a very unlu- unlucky situation if maybe. the second card is a vision. Maybe. But anyway, go ahead. But to me, the, one of the biggest problems is, and, and, and if, anybody, uh, if anybody at Leader Games who's listening, uh, if, if I was to, to, to beg you to look into one section of this game in the next year, it is how can we solve the downtime of people just sitting there while somebody reads cards and picks one and they shouldn't be rushed because that is a huge decision they have in front of them. And I don't want to make the person feel rushed, but I don't want to sit there in silence for two, two and a half, three minutes while they pick one out of 10 cards. And that happens almost every turn for at least the first couple rounds of the game. Yeah. And, and frequently at various points when, when there's been disruption, right. That's the main action to get back in the game. So, but here's something that I do like that I think speaks to what you're saying is you don't have a hand of cards. 
but you have three cards that are yours and most of them are kept face down. So you do have strategy that nobody knows about. You have plans that you should. And I think, I think a big part of the game is never flipping cards up until you have to and keeping those strategies down there and keeping them for yourself, except for ones you need for economy. But you also have an open, the tableau of this game is a communal tableau. It is a shared tableau. You may control certain cards at certain times but you can also move your pawn to any location and now you control all those cards just by moving there which i think i think there is a lot of strategy to that because because when visions come out the cost to draw no cards becomes so prohibitive so quickly that after 25 cards are in the game that's it like nobody else can afford at that point without ditching their entire turn and resting in order to even see like two or three more cards and then something we didn't mention is when you discard, there's no discard pile. The discard pile is in the world and it flows downstream from where you are. So, Which is a very good mechanic, the way that is done. I agree. It's dope. It's dope. So if you then want to draw cards, you either draw them from the main deck where you could hit a vision and waste some, some, some energy, or you can dig through the discard pile of where you're at and look at as many as you want at a normal cost. And that, those are cards that other people have already seen, maybe cards you've already seen. You might ditch a card, move, and go get that card. So, And then at a certain point, after a couple rounds, there's only 25 cards in the whole game. And that's the closed economy. And I think it's not hard to know. There could no- be many more than that. But it, it, what you're saying is, is you're, you're saying it's that hard to get because, more than 25. Of the, because of the math of, the, of how expensive the draw becomes yeah. as visions come yeah. out, it becomes harder to get past 25. Let's just not... Let's not tell people that that that's that's at all no. a hard and fast no situation. it's not hard and fast it's, it's, but i think it's uh, an average would probably be 25 to 30 cards that are seen in the game so to me that's not a huge amount and i think i think there is some strategy in in dumpster diving for you know cards you've dumped or other cards people have dumped listen one of the four victory conditions that could be the main condition of the game is popular support which is the one we played with last time we played territories for the first one. We played popular support for the second one. In popular support, you're not keeping those car- those cards, the three cards that you can keep in your tableau. You're not keeping them face down. You are almost always going to keep them face up right. because you that, the, because you need them for popular support. Right. So one of the four ways to play the game, you're not keeping that tableau a secret right. at all. But then the game becomes about manipulating the different. Uh, the different stocks, stocks. right? Yeah. yeah. And different. And so then it becomes a game about stealing the darkest secret, which is another one of the victory conditions because the darkest secret allows you to mess with the stock values. And so I, I, the, yeah, I, I my, my point is I, I agree with what you said. If, if leader games were to, were to look at this in a way that, you know, if you wanted to back away from rules lock, I would love, love, love to see if there's, if there's some thought that can go into doing something to address the blind, draw issue if there is a way in any way shape or form i mean looking at the looking at the packs games yeah. to have those 12 get which by the way is the exact same thing yeah. as through the ages mm-hmm. right um to have a number of cards that are out there that yeah. are acquirable and to be able to during your downtime yeah have be building a strategy yeah that that is something we all notice is that there's really nothing you can be doing on your turn other than waiting for your turn because there's the, the game is very uh tactical and how things change throughout a round and there's very little plans you could be making uh, and you also you don't have a hand of cards to be planning the order of you you know so th- there's very little for you to be doing when it's not your turn and in a game like that you want fast turns what you never want is somebody drawing eight cards and going give me a minute guys and reading eight cards and picking one which is what we have let now let's just say the fact that matt and i are having such a uh, boisterous discussion of this 
is because we really see a lot of promise in this game. Oh, it's so even though even though we're even though we're 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 discussing some Best things that case. are kind of negatives for us, yeah. it it is nonetheless a very interesting game. Best and case really sen- worst case scenario for this game. Worst case scenario, it's a glorious disaster. <laughs> worst case scenario. Yes, it, it, it is um you know those movies that you see that you're like, oh my, showgirls, right? The things like that, like, what well, I love the heck? No, where no, they no. think? No, no, I agree. I'll fight to the death for 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 my Verhoeven. No, I love it, but I'm saying it is one of those things that is that that is. You could see it as a glorious disaster. It's it's an amazing game because it's so different. Yeah, because he went for something, and right. he he he, you know. Conventional wisdom be damned. Conventional game construction be damned. He did something that is very, very different and very interesting. Right. What's exciting about to me, and I think why I said, while Cole, does, well, I can't say Cole Worley is my favorite designer. I can say he's the designer who, if he puts out a game, I'm going to instantly buy it because almost every game he designs, when I first hear about it, I go, if that's right, that's my favorite game. Like if he, right. if he did that, yeah, that's my favorite game. Like, uh, and I will say, I will say that that he in publishing those designer design diaries is fantastic. He he is is giving us a window into game design that very few designers have done yeah. to the extent that he has, a, which is an amazing thing. He's clearly very 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 talented. Yes, agreed, yeah. agreed. That was Oath. We will be talking more about this. We're not going to be giving a review for it for no, no, a no. year because we're not even going to even talk about That's that until the, it comes yeah. out. But we're going to be playing it more. And as we play, hopefully we'll have this conversation more And I hope they update the, I hope they, uh, he hasn't promised he will at all. Um, and in fact said he probably won't. But if they do update the, the print and play, you know, in six months, I would be very interested to see what, you know, what the changes are and to check those out too. Absolutely. But now let's talk about our topic. Boom. For our extra turn. Teaching games. Um, uh, man, I, we've, we've gotten complimented before for the way we teach games. That we, we, we tend to do a pretty good job of it. Um, people, there is no bigger hurdle to getting people into this hobby than to teach. The best games, the games we like, we, we, we swim in the deeper end of the pool. For the most part, we we tend to like heavier games. Um, you know, there have been some people lately. You know, uh, Tom Vassell. You know, really didn't uh, uh, gel with Food Chain Magnate. We had uh, so very wrong about games. Didn't really gel with On Mars. We've had some some people that were sort of looking into the deeper end of the pool and and saying, no, I don't think so. I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. Basically, is what they were what yeah. they were what they were both saying. Absolutely. Um, to some degree teaching those games well and to get a person to a point where they can play what is an amazing game and to recognize it and to not feel overwhelmed by it is probably the biggest challenge that we have in the in the gaming hobby so we're going to talk about some strategies some tips some things that we have found through painful bitter experience to be the best way to teach games because we've 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 both had disaster teachers oh yeah and just I think my favorite disaster teach of yours and it was not it was <laughs> and it wasn't a bad one was you and I are in Essen it's oh, late at night very different story but okay good late at night yeah and you pull out Versindas Volk and 30 minutes in you go I'm too tired for this. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't, I do, can't it. do this teach. And like, but we had spent like maybe an hour, even probably more than that. 45 minutes yeah. at least. And then 45 minutes of teaching. And he just looks at me and you go, 
I can't do this. Can't do it. <laughs> I was can't just do like, it. I love you. I get it. I totally get <laughs> it. We've all been there. You just give, you're just like, this, this teach isn't going great. I'm not, I'm not uh, prepared enough for this teach. And I'm also way too tired for this teach. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm putting up the flag. Like there's, okay. So there is the, on the scale of easy to hard teach. Yeah. The hardest teach in the world is I am at Essen. I have just bought a game. I have a fuzzy black and white printout of the English language description of the game. <laughs> and while other people are popping out, you know, pieces out of the cardboard, I am quickly skimming it the to try and to be able to 10 minutes later, explain how to play a game that I have never played, never read the rules for and never done. And that's about as hard as it gets. I think, okay, so this is actually a good place to start. So before we get into how to teach, I think we should both talk about our worst teaching experiences ever. So I will tell mine. Sure. My worst teach ever was probably six years ago. And we had uh, two new players to our group. This was, I believe, Jesse's first or second time ever playing with us. And it was uh, our friend of the show, Ben Hoyt, had come to a game night. <laughs> and I decided, so many mistakes were made here. I decided to now play. Now, ben, ben and Jesse are difficult to teach to. Ben, in particular, is a difficult guy to teach to. He is, um, I, don't, I don't know how to put it other than he is, seems to jump to conclusions you gotta, too quickly. And you got to hook him quick. That's right. You, you got to hook them. Yes, exactly right. Now, I decided a good game to teach them was Madeira. Oh, boy. Now, this the reason this was a bad teach was 100% my fault. Because I went, I'm dying to play Madeira. And I pulled out Madeira, and I realized I had completely forgotten how to play Madeira. <laughs> and I had set it up. It took 20 minutes. I, you know, they were all they were excited. I was like, guys, this is you're gonna love this. This is a genius game. It's brilliant. And I, I genuinely remember breaking out in cold sweats and having a bit of an anxiety attack as I looked at the rule book. And it, all of a sudden, it was like in a cartoon where it all turns into a different <laughs> language. And I was just like, I don't even remember the basic like flow of a turn. Like it just all, <laughs> it just left me. And I, I hadn't played the game in six months, and I just had utterly forgotten everything I could possibly know about the game. And I just, I just, got, I'm so sorry, guys. I just. I think we, and then we like did a whole round and halfway through the round, I was just realized I'd completely forgotten a major rule of the whole game. Just like, um, <laughs> you guys want to like start over? Like, and I just was like, <laughs> they were very nice about it, but it was just like one of those, like, like genuine, like I was like on stage having a panic attack, having to give a, a speech, like, and sometimes teaching games can feel like that. You were on the spot. You've got a bunch of people who have dedicated their night to this and you better not blow it. And sometimes that pressure can be, can be rough. The first game I ever taught you was uh, was Battlestar Galactica right. at your house. I invited you over to my game night, and the very second game I ever introduced you to and ever taught you was Indonesia. Indonesia, the splatter. Yeah, my eyes glazed over by the end of the word Indonesia. I was twenty minutes in. Yeah. I was teaching it to you and two other people who had never played it before, and Trey was playing with us, and he had played it before. And I realized 20 minutes into the teach that I have seriously miscalculated. Mm -hmm. I was, I, but it, it, it's the same thing, right? I really wanted to play Indonesia, but I also really wanted to show you Indonesia because you were, yeah. you were just like a light went off in your, in your head yeah. after Battlestar Galactica. And you were like, holy cow, I, you were reading BGG, you were yeah. going to, and you were just all in. And I forgot. 
I forgot where you were at that yeah, stage yeah, yeah. and I ruined it. And I was just, I was just like, oh, I'm And you know what? I wasn't ready this. for that game for another six or seven years probably. Yeah. Which is crazy. Now, which before, is fair. We, before we get into our prescriptive sort of rules for teaching, I think it's a good place to start with this. Mm. It doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are if you're teaching the wrong game to the wrong people. Agreed. You cannot... You cannot convert somebody into the type of gamer you want them to be. And you cannot explain a game to somebody who... You cannot teach somebody how to run before they've learned to walk. You just can't. Correct. You can... Yeah, yeah. You can jump somebody up one level. Yeah, you can't jump them two you cannot or ju- three. Two levels, maybe yeah. you could do that, but but yeah, t- but too often the big problem in games is that you're trying to jump somebody two levels or th- or even three levels, and it's just going to be a disaster no matter what you yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's something that happens to people who are five years into the hobby, who who they who have played a lot of games very quickly and have forgotten. Even like I remember something happened to me a few years ago where I was trying to teach my uh, my brother in law how to play a deck builder. Mm-hmm. And I had it. I was just like, all right. So it's standard deck building rules. You do, and like the concept of deck building was was a language to him that he couldn't even fathom. And I had to. I was like, oh, I'm skipping over the deck. So yeah, no, no, yeah. You, 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 you those go in your discard. Yeah, you don't get those. Yeah, when do I, I get them? When yeah. you get through your whole deck? Well, mm-hmm. what do I do? Like, I had forgotten that I even had to go through the bait. Like that was so basic to me. Right. Deck building. How can anyone not know how to do? Yeah, do it these goes in your four discard things. when you buy them. What do you mean when I buy? Like, what do you even? What is any of this? Yesterday, playing eighteen sixty two, Jennifer was starting to go over some things. I had finished teaching, and we were talking strategy as we were playing the game. And Jennifer started talking. Well, yeah, but you, you know, the, the way you can still get money in your company is you could just plow. And then she keeps <laughs> on going. All the shop talk. And every and I'm just looking at Jennifer. I'm like, Jennifer, we need to explain what the word plow means in this context. And she's like, Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, because she's yeah. came from the knowledge base that well, we're playing in 18xx. Clearly, these guys know, the, know what this know term is and what that term is. It's absolutely true. the The first thing we should talk about is there are learning styles, right? There's two different categories of it. There's one category that says there are four learning styles, and the word is VARC for visual, auditory, reading, writing, and kinetic, right? Or kinesthetic. Uh, the seven category is visual, oral, verbal, physical, logical, social, and solitary, which is interesting. But we'll deal with VARC, though. We'll deal with visual, auditory, reading, and writing, and kinetic. Okay, so kinesthetic is a person that has to do a kinesthetic learner. My wife is a kinesthetic learner. Mm -hmm. She will be able to listen for about 10 minutes of rules explanation. Right. And after that, she's not getting anything. If we play a practice round and I teach as we play the round, Mm -hmm. boom, she gets it all. Right. And she figures the game out. But I have to keep that in mind for her because she's extremely kinesthetic and she's got to be doing in order to get it. And until then, she's not going to be able to keep those things in her head in an organized way. She has them. They're there somewhere. They're just not organized and not usable except in that way. Right? Other people, visual. For a visual learner, I want that player aid to be right in front of them. And as we're going over the rules, yeah. I'm pointing out, look here in the player aid and look at this. 
because what they're doing is is they're creating a link to what I'm saying to that part of the player aid, and they're going to be able to go right back there, and it's going to be an anchor for them. It's going to be sort of their read-write memory is going to be able to quickly access that piece of information because of that. Auditory. Auditory uh, learners are fantastic. That's what we hope for. Those are the easiest people to teach a game to because that is... I could just read the rule book to you. I could just go over the game and an auditory learner is going to be able to pick it up right away. They're just going to be able to listen to the rules that I'm laying out and they're going to be able to, to do it. And then reading, writing, uh, reading, writing learners, uh, Matt and I are definitely reading, writing learners. That's one of our, one of our main strengths. Yeah. I learned best just reading a rule book. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, there are some people that they do best by going on the geek and watching a teach of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Maddie and I probably do better just reading the rule book. In some cases, the rule book isn't enough. And it's really great thing to have yeah. somebody out there that that's willing to show how it goes. If I need to learn a game uh, to teach it the next day, I'll usually watch a video. Mm-hmm. And then read the rule book because that's usually then if I especially if I've never laid it out on the table before me I have to visually see it and then if I read the rule book and then uh, then I've I've had it after one video and one read through I can usually I'm good to go. I think I do it the other way around. I think I really? I think I read I think I read first. Oh, ideally I would do that. I'm just saying if like if I if I have to have a game taught by tonight and I've got yes, two yes, hours yes. I'll watch the video first and then I'll read the rule. Totally book. agree. Yes, yes, because there's always things that in the in the video they've left out or that I wasn't paying attention close enough at that moment. And then when I read the rule book, I'm getting it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. So there was a person named Java for short at the uh, rec board games uh, Reddit. And they laid out what, what I think is a really good general order of teaching. Um, they say that the first thing you do is you explain the high concept, yep, right? The hook. Right. This is what the game is, right? It's one sentence. This is the fiction of the game. This is the tone of the game. This is what we're what what the game is about. We are here. Right. Doing this. Yes. In a Gaia project, we are several different alien species that are exploring and building our society up across the galaxy. And many of us are going to be building up our societies next to each other. Yep. Uh, Then the next thing is goals. What are the goals of the game? Uh, Paul did a really good job about, uh, I would say about five, seven years ago, something like that. He said, Tom, how do you win the game? And this was at minute 50 of a very tough teach. Yep. That's a, that, that's my number one tip to people when they ask how to teach games is I say, hook, how do you win? Yeah. As long as you start there, usually the rest of the teach will go well. Hook me, hook them in, Yeah. tell them the story, and then instantly go to here is how you win. And often it'll just be have the most victory points. But that's okay. People need to understand mm-hmm. what, what, what we're playing for here. Yeah. After, after Paul told me that, never happened again. Yeah. But he, when he pointed it out, I realized, you know what? Sometimes I miss that. Yeah. Sometimes previous to that, I would occasionally leave the goals out. Yeah. After goals comes the rules. Explain the rules and try to go from the most general to the most specific. I would put, I would put one thing in between there. Go for it. I would add right after victory condition, I always like to go, what ends the game? I like to go, here's how we win. You win by having the most victory points. The game will end at the end of round eight, or the game will end when this 
pile is exhausted. I think it's very important to tell people how they're going to win and then what ends the game. It's a good point. I think and those two pieces usually go together. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. With the rules explanation, we want to go from the most general to the most specific. Uh, the best way to explain that is on our turns, we're going to be taking these workers that you have in front of you and you're going to be putting them out at those spaces on the board. And a lot of those spaces, look, when you put that there, you're going to get those things and you're going to put those things in front of you and that's going to help you out in that way. Start with that. Then later get into the, uh, in these edge cases, you could put out more than one worker or you could send somebody's worker back. I mean, that's the thing that you explain later on, right? After rules come exceptions, okay? Explain exceptions to the rules as late as possible and only if it's absolutely necessary, um, sometimes we will get lost in all of the edge cases. We will get lost in, in, in war games. It's called Chrome. Yeah. Chrome are these tiny little rules that are there for historical accuracy yeah. or for this or that other thing. Uh, even modern board games have a lot of, have a lot of Chrome in them. They yeah. have a lot of uh, little rules that'll come up. Uh, better to do that in a practice round or better to do that as the game is, is playing. The really high level teach... What you're doing is you're explaining all the rules necessary to play round one of the game. Mm -hmm. Then as you're playing round one of the game, the teacher is keeping an eye out for things that might be coming down the pike, and then they throw in that little that little extra. Mm -hmm. That's a really good key. And then last but not least, strategy. If at all possible, yeah. uh, I think it's super important. It and depends you on the game, but if it's something like Dune, you gotta you gotta give everybody the basics. I think strategy. I think I think you and I do a pretty good job of this, which is almost every time, right before you start playing, because the the majority of people playing a game for the first time feel overwhelmed. That's what they feel more than anything else, mm -hmm. because they're trying to keep all these different things in their head at the same time without yeah. having ever done it once. And so to tell them in Railroad Evolution, for instance, like uh, these are contracts. Fulfilling contracts is a huge way to get a lot of points in the game. Mm -hmm. Okay. That over there is another huge way to get points. Basically, you're going to be trying to figure out between these three things. In Concordia, we have here, here are several of the ways you can get the most points in the game. Here are the things that score points. Here are some of the combinations of those things that people go for. Right. And it, what it does is it gives people a filter through which to view the game. Yep. They can choose things that they're focusing on. Uh, so let's talk teaching strategy number one. Teaching, well, let me, let me, go just ahead. briefly, I just want to uh, do a little amendment. So I, I agree with most of that. I, I had already written down my my quick, I just want to go over my quick list of the, the things I do when I do it. So first, story, the hook. We're on the same page with that. Got to leave with the hook. Then I, in, I instantly go to the overall mechanism. Now, what I'm talking about here is this is how I teach games to gamers. Because it's a very different thing if I'm teaching it to people who don't play games. Yes. This is how I, this is this is really the, the rules to when I'm teaching my game group, which right. I think is what most people listening are looking for. Right. Um, if teaching a non-gamer is a completely different situation, um, you got to really just you got to just set aside the day. But, <laughs> but for, this is how I teach my group. I go for the hook. Then I go overall mechanism. Right. It's a worker placement game. This is a hand management game. This is yada, yada, yada. Just a quick, just, just everybody gets a basic. This basics. is a 4X. This, this is, is a 4X. Whatever, yeah, right? just, that's all. Yep. Victory condition. Boom. Here's, what you, here's how you win. What ends the game? The clock. 
Then I like to go right into the anatomy of the components. I like to then instantly then go, all right, here's the map. This is the four different countries over here. This right here is the temple track. All right, now let's look at our player board here. You've got your houses right here. This is a marker for this. I like everybody to know what everything is, right? Even if they don't sure. understand how it all clicks, they all go like, oh, okay, this is, it starts giving you some frame of reference. Got it. Then I like to go through a round. And usually by going through a round, you cover all the actions. Yep. Right. But I like to do it in the order of the round. Okay. This is the influence phase. This is where you collect your economy and you move into things. All right. Then you get three actions on your turn. Here are all the possible actions. Let's go over the simplest one, building to the most complicated ones. Simplest action, move your worker. Okay. That costs two action points. Yada. So then we'll go through all the possible actions. Then I like to go through, like you said, very few exceptions and edge cases, but mostly ones that uh, are traps that you will hurt yourself if you don't remember. Yes, the, the, right? this is this is an important thing to know. Because you if you don't realize that, you know, you don't want to spend all your power uselessly in Gaia Project, you you know, you, you'll really hurt yourself because, yes, there is a way to spend it quickly, uh, so an emergency, but you'll be screwing yourself in the future. In Dune, you want to fight, you want to win fights, but remember, you can only get three of your men back right. into your supply each turn. Right. So if you lose a lot of guys, it's going to take a long time for you to be back in fighting shape, right? Totally. That's one of, the, one of those little things. Yeah. And finally, I think it's very important to go over endgame scoring. Even down to, okay, also, all for every $5 you have at the end of the game, that's one point. I like to just quickly, and this is the, probably the least important thing, because the, when, what, what we're going to do is I'm going to just tell them all the end game scoring. Okay, we get victory points for this, victory points for this, victory points for this, and then you can convert your resources into victory points at 5-2. Right. I will say it once, but then halfway through the game, always, I will bring out, okay, now we're halfway through the game, the game ends halfway, let's go over the victory conditions again, guys. Let's yeah. go, now that we all fully understand and grok the game, here's what is, everything that's going to work, because the worst thing is somebody gets the end of the thing and goes, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, money is so important, and I spent it all, right? Yeah. Um, or, and also, tiebreakers, too, are also important. If, it's, sure. if this is a close game, if this is PAX Premier, or, you know, something with, you know, very, very low-scoring games, or busts, or whatever, like, make sure people understand the tiebreakers. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, and and saying what a typical winning score is That's is something we, we say all the time. Great point, great point. Right? In bus, we're like, guess what? Yeah. Four could win this game. Yeah. That's actually, I, I would, I would if, if you're writing these down or making a little list, I would always end with uh, a typical score in this game is this. On your first game, expect to be happy with this. Yeah. Yeah. Railroad Evolution. Uh, getting over 200 points is probably key to winning the game. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's that's kind of what you're looking for. So when you look at these things, that's at least some metric, some yardstick yeah. to, to assess it. Exactly. I, I would say that uh, I would not go over scoring for people that are newer to the hobby. For newer to the hobby, I would leave that out until you get a little bit deeper into the game. Yeah. What I would do Remind instead that, is I would yeah. say most victory points wins the game. And I would say here are the three areas that probably score the most victory points in the game. Yep. You're going to get a lot of points from this in underwater cities. Look at those cards that cost three points that are out there. Yep. There's going to be a lot of points for those, right? And and let's figure out which one is going to fit with your style and make sure you get that one. Totally. Things along those lines. So teaching strategy number one is tell a story. I love, Matt and I, you were both, both writers. We love telling stories. When you can, the best way for a person to understand a new game is for them to be in the narrative of the game. For you to tell the story of the game less by saying this happens than that happens in a rules situation, but more 
this is who you are, this is who you're playing, and this is what you're doing. Demacher, we just did the other night, a perfect example of it. You are, and I, I don't talk about it in terms of the German parliamentary election system because it actually works perfectly well. Sure as the primaries. American presidential primary system. So I, sa- so I said at the beginning of the game, I said, which presidential candidate do you want to be, Matt? And Matt, what do you, who, do you, who do you pick? <laughs> well, I, oh, geez. I, <laughs> play this game. I, I chose Buttigieg because everybody hates Buttigieg. He chose Buttigieg. Dimitri said, I will be Bernie. <laughs> And so each one of us picked that guy. So right off the bat, before any... Or, no, there, there was a Warren and a Klobuchar or whatever. I was Klobuchar. Yeah, Klobuchar. So it wasn't Absolutely. all guys. It wasn't all guys. No, we mixed it, we mixed it up. I didn't say that. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that we all picked somebody before I even went into explaining what the rules of the game are. Yeah. And then I said, so, okay, look at, the, look at this board. This board represents the first four states we're going to be competing for. Okay, and then I flipped them all out. And when I got to Mecklenburg or whatever, I said, okay, that's kind of like New Jersey. That's like a decent state, but not a huge state. And then, oh, look, that's California. That's the one we're going for. That's got all of those delegates that we're going for, right? You want to get the most delegates. That's one of the big ways you win. And by telling the story that way, by explaining what we're doing that way, these little cubes that you have, these are your campaign workers. They're going out there and they're creating rallies and they're going door to door and they're doing all this sort of stuff. The more of these guys out there, the more votes you're going to be able to get. But you can't just get the votes just because you have those guys out there. You have to listen to what the issues that are in that state and you have to match those issues. So by telling a story and by trying to relate everything to the metaphor of the game, it becomes way easier to follow uh, to follow an explanation. So that's one of the one of the big things. Um, you want to talk about number two, which is concepts then details, or um, do you want or do you want me to? Okay. Yeah, you, you lead. I'll, I'll do. I'll, I'll do that. Be, uh, color commentary sounds great. Uh, teaching strategy number two is start with the concepts, then get into the details. Perfect example of this is Dune. The best way to teach Dune is to teach everything. Dune is one of those rare games where every single person plays a very different game than every other person. So teaching Dune, the best way to teach Dune is to first teach what is common to everybody. Mm -hmm. What are the parts of the game that almost everybody is going to be playing exactly the same way? Right. So a a really good example of that also is Root as well, which is a game probably a lot of listeners have played a lot. There are, I always, when I teach Root, I always go, here's how everyone gets victory points by taking cardboard pieces off the board or by building items. That's it. Everyone scores points like that. Doesn't matter who you are. But everybody else has their own secret way of getting some points. Correct. And and for most people, you're going to build up armies in these areas. You're going to move this way. Here's how moving right. works on yeah, the board. Exactly. Here's how building things works on the board. Then you get into the details. Then yeah. you go into the, okay, you are the Woodland Alliance. This is how your game yeah. is different. It's almost a different beast teaching asymmetrical games because that gets into a different area of like, all right, you guys go do something else. I'm going to tell this person how to play their game. Listen if you want, but you might be overwhelmed. Sure. But listen, teaching Gaia Project is the same situation. Teaching yeah, Eclipse is the same situation. Yeah. It's just, it's the degree to which the the play is completely different yeah. that matters. But there's a lot of games that play that way. I, I'll say that another good example of that is Marco Polo. Yeah. Playing Marco Polo, 80% of the teach 
is teaching the game that is exactly the same for everybody. And then the last 20% of the teach is my favorite. Marco Polo may be my favorite game to teach yeah, yeah, yeah. because I've explained everything about how to play the game. Right. Everybody thinks they get it. And everybody's and like, then this I is bring, okay. Yeah. And then I bring out the eight characters. Yeah. And I have a particular order I always do. Yeah. And the order is from the guy that you think is pretty great to the guy that you think is awesome to the guy that, to the person that you think is completely overpowered. And yeah. how is that allowed to be in there? Yeah. And then I still have five more people that are each consecutively like how, and to yeah. the point where people are like, their minds are just being blown and you can see them almost screaming yeah. at how on earth could that be a how character this in this game? How, yeah. how, how could that, how could that work? Uh, which is interesting. Uh, play the teaching round. This is so important for my wife, for any kinesthetic learner. Yeah. People that, there are people that when you teach, they are going to seem to sort of zone out. They're going to seem to just sort of lose it. And as they play the game, in the actual game, you might get frustrated. You might be like, uh, uh, we have a friend, Scott, who is, is very much a kinesthetic learner. And he'll ask questions that everyone else is like, didn't you hear? He said that. He's like, no, he couldn't process that now. Yeah. But now he's ready to because he's actually playing the game. Now, here's something that we do in our group a lot that I, I'd be curious to know if other groups do this. We will often start a game over in our group. And that is that is not verboten in our group. That is not something that's looked down upon. We do it a lot. And especially if it's a new game. Now, usually if anybody raises it after a round, and if somebody often will just go, you guys, I would really like to start this over. Now, clearly it depends on what time it is and how long the game is and everything and how mm -hmm. everybody feels, but very often, and Trey's really good about this. Trey will often be the person who goes, I have no problem starting this over if you guys want to, now that we all understand it. Yeah. And usually people will go, uh, it's 8.30. Sure, we got time. Let's start over. I really recommend people do that in any game they can. It's never going to be bad. If you have at least one kinesthetic learner in your group, I recommend you 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 say that. You say that we're going to play one round of this game. But even if you don't say it, we often don't say it. And then just at the end of a round or 30 minutes into the game, we'll often go, you often, people will be laughing going like, well, I just understood the game and wow, would I have played it different. The minute someone says that in a group, somebody will usually go, do you want to? Does yeah. anybody, is anybody have a problem with that? And mostly people just go, no, that sounds good. Let's all start over because I'm excited to start over because I also learned a few things that round. <laughs> and and it, that the acceptance of that tends to be based around how long a round is. Sure. And how late in the night the teach started and sure, if we played sure. fillers before and all that. Yeah, but but and if that's something that doesn't exist in your game group, consider adding it to your repertoire of things that are just totally socially acceptable to do to just say, you know what, guys, anybody mind? I know we're only 30 minutes into the game. Would anybody mind if we started over? Because I just figured out how to play the game and I'm super excited. I don't want to wait six weeks to play this again. Mm -hmm. I want to play it right now knowing what I know. Uh, there's a game called Eclipse that we that we play a lot, which is yep. a great space dice trucker, 4X, yeah. fun 4, 4X game. Um, we've played it before in such a way that there are two sides to every board. One side is the Terrans and they all play identical. Mm -hmm. And then the other side are the special powers. I've played this game with people that are newer to the hobby. And what we did was we did a first round of the game, which was a teaching round where we basically learn the game as we play, where we all played Terrans. So we all played under the same circumstances. After playing that round and everybody understood what the game was, we reset, we flipped the boards over, and then the last part of the teach was explaining what their individual powers were. And then we were ready to go. New addition, by the way, 
could arrive any day. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I've, it, I've heard it. Yes, no, I no, know. No, 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 no. We, it, we have confirmation that it left, it left China over six weeks ago. I mean, it could be arriving any day. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm really hopeful that we've been waiting a long time for this. Let me tell you about Teach You real quick. Teach You is a game that is perfect for teaching rounds. I'm going to give you if if you oh, yeah. if you have never played Teach You, you must play Teach You. It's amazing. Um, it's Euro Bridge. It 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 is the perfect couples game. It is phenomenal. The way to teach Teach You is the first thing you do is you take out the four special cards. There are four special cards that are different than the normal cards in the game. Set them aside. The first round, all you do is you show people I could play a single, and if I play a single, people have to play a single on top of it. I could play a pair. People have to play a pair on top of it. Go through all the combinations. Yeah, trick taking. And then play one round. We're just taking tricks. Yeah. Okay? Second round, we still play with just these cards, but now you introduce the idea of teach you and grand teach you. You, you introduce the idea of I could look at my cards and before I play my first card, bet 100 points that I'm going to be the first person yeah. out of cards. The most fun part of the game. Right? Do that. Then for the third round of te- the third teaching round, you explain the four special cards, shuffle them in, and I have never failed to, even with people that are very adverse to gaming, very adverse to a lot of rules explanations, I've never seen anybody have a problem with teaching, with learning Teach You and being able to play very, very effectively in a relatively short time by playing just three rounds of a game in which each round I'm adding in one more wrinkle to how the game is played. Yep. It's like the, the, the frog that's sitting in the water and I'm just slowly heating it up. <laughs> yep. It works really well. Um, Crafting a bite-sized strategy guide is pretty good in terms of uh, in terms of design. Well, what Matt was talking about about what, uh, telling people how to win, how to how to play the game, what scores points. Um, there are some games where it works really well to tell people, all right, pretty much in this game there are three paths to victory. You're going to have to choose one of these. For new gamers that are just that are playing a game for the first time. That is a key piece of information to, to get on. So if you can spend just like three, four minutes sort of giving them like, I would even talk in a lower voice like, all right, all right. Now I've explained to you how to play the game. Here's how to win the game. This yeah. is what you want to do. Uh, Puerto Rico is a great example of that, mm-hmm. right? The, Andrea Seyfarth, you say, look, you can win the game by building the best buildings in the city. You do a city building strategy. Just focus on that and crush that. You could do a shipping strategy. If that's happening, you got to get a lot of corn because you want to ship those those cheap things that you can make a lot of, right? Corn and indigo, that's what you're going to do. Every other strategy in the game is some combination of those two. So figure out which one of those two strategies you seem to be lined up for and go for that. And just talk a little bit about how to, how to start down the road of that strategy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think that's a really good way to to get things going. I, I think for people, when they start getting lost in a game explanation, one of the things that, that helps them focus and helps them have a productive first game is to give them an idea of lots of people win doing A or doing B. Right. Uh, viable can, strategies. Exactly. And, and, and they, can, they can wrap their heads around that. Teaching strategy number five is highlight the important things. Like what are... Sometimes we get we try to explain all the rules of the game, mm-hmm. and in doing so, the people listening to this and trying to figure out how to play the game cannot separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, don't get bogged down in the details. And if there's a lot of details, you know, this this comes down to an important rule. 
make sure people understand if the game is very complicated, this is a teaching game. Correct. Now, teaching games are games with asterisks. They yes. must be games that no, everybody there has to have a certain mindset when you're playing a teaching game. And this can be tough if you have very competitive players in your group because A, they might be frustrated by their lack of, uh, of strength at the game, at, at how they're not going to play strategically. Some people really hate that feeling of being you know, mm-hmm. uh, behind the eight ball. They don't like that feeling of I'm not as good at this as other people. And that's instantly a frustrating, bad, negative experience for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, make sure that they, you know, I always say, if I just taught you a game, if I win, it doesn't count. Yeah. If I lose, it totally counts. Right. Right. <laughs> but make sure that, you know, everybody's down. Everyone needs to be down for the learning game. So don't yes. have players who have played it 50 times who don't want to sit there for a learning game because they might say, I don't want to play a learning game. I want to play for real. Okay. This, then you should play something else tonight or we should all play something else tonight because this needs to be a learning game and these people need to feel safe to lose. Yes, this is a safe space to lose and not and feel good about what you the, the victory here is learning the game. Yes, you know, uh, and in highlighting the important things, sometimes there's something about the game that the rules explanation that nothing in the rules says this is an important thing yeah. to know, but there's something important to know in Shogun or Wallenstein. They're both the same game. They're just different settings. The important thing to know is it's going to feel like you're playing a war game, but it's not really a war game. Mm -hmm. You are going to barely be able to move an army three or four spaces over the course of the entire game. So remember that. Remember that where you start, you're never going to get too far from where you start. Right. Focus on that. In Oren Labora is another great example. What Elder was saying about Oren Labora when we did the review the week before, he said that settlements, the settlement strategy, building settlements and building good buildings around those settlements has more bang for the buck in terms of victory points than anything else. There's a lot of ways to get victory points in Oren Labora. Never ignore this one thing. Make yeah. sure you do this. And being able to say just a couple little things like that to highlight the important things is really, really key. I, I agree. On a side note, in, in terms of the opposite of important things, which are strong details, I will often tell people in an extremely complicated game, a game like you said with a lot of chrome in it, I will often yep. say, you will all reach a point tonight where you look me in the eye and say, why didn't you teach me that little rule? <laughs> and, yeah. I'm, and, and, and I'm not going to teach it to you now because if I taught you all of those little rules, this would be a horrible teach and you'd forget all the big important things. Yeah. So for, just know the I will do my best to tell you the tiny little detail if I see it coming as a train coming down the road about to hit us. But I can't tell you all the tiny little edge cases because this game's full of them. You're just going to have to learn by uh, tripping over them. Yeah, and then let's let's talk about that for a second. You bring up an interesting issue that we didn't even talk about, which is what is your responsibility as a person who is learning a game? Yeah, and I think that sometimes we need to point out that the person that is teaching you the game is doing a mitzvah. It is a kindness that they are doing. They are doing their best to get you into something and excited about something. Do your best to not have an adversarial relationship with the person that is teaching you a game. We have that sometimes that happens in our group. People get kind of hostile well, about or frustrated about the, the the way the game is being taught. We, that wasn't. We way. have a phrase in our group that says that is often said in a joking tone, but with slightly seriousness. Not how I was taught. That's not the way not I was how taught. I was taught. That's right. Now that's something people say in our group a lot as a joke, which is usually when something has happened to them that where they didn't realize something that has now hurt their game states. Like 
you know, oh, I didn't know we could do that, or I thought we couldn't do that. And then we have a thing where it's like, you're blaming the teacher a little bit, but you know, but you have to keep in mind that sometimes in a learning game, the teacher isn't going to teach you every little thing. Yes. Because this is a learning game and and you need to turn that, you know, you need to turn that, uh, what's the Magic the Gathering character that needs to win? Timmy is that whatever the one that, you know, all that <laughs> yes. matters is, yes. is, 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 Mac, is, is yeah. min maxing, right? Yes. Min maxers have a hard time, and Jesse is a is a min maxer. Jesse has a hard time with the teaching game sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I think we all do sometimes, but I've noticed sure. it with Jesse where it's like he he wants to play well every time he plays. You know, and like he's 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 definitely very good at, at the teaching game now. But I, I do I do remember at a time where it was like you know I would be like Jesse, it's a teaching game. Let's really not like let's not care who wins at all. You know. Yeah. I feel like he fully gets it now, but I do remember there was a time when you know, everybody's had that moment. There are people that come to game night that don't come often, yeah. that, that are much more that way than, than Jesse. I think Jesse's got a lot better over the uh, over the years in terms of this. I do but he's, th- he's a competitive player. You know, Anybody I, who has no. that competitive spirit in them, even if it's their first game, they want to win. 100%. And it's uh, uh, understandable and, that, and 100% yeah. natural. What we do say is, and what I, I've said this, uh, I've never said this to Jesse, but I've said this to other people that sometimes I've, I see them getting very, very frustrated in terms of uh, yeah. the way the game was taught. Ben, ben to Hoyt them. is like that too. Ben Hoyt yeah. really likes winning and he yeah. doesn't like the feeling of losing. And sometimes when I really have to say to him, like, you're going to lose this game before we even started because we've all played it before and you haven't. I really hope though that if you get anything from this game, it's a passion to play it again. And what I like to say to, to people in these situations is, look, teaching game is, a, is an act of generosity. And an act of, <laughs> yeah, be nice to your teachers. Right. So try and be try and be as generous uh, going back yeah. the, the other way. And right? I'm going to do a little thing after we get through these. Of I'm going to talk about how I learn a game to teach it. And oh, I hope good. that through understanding that you understand the amount of work and effort that goes into every teach that you are given as a gamer. Let me give out one more one more teaching strategy, which I think works very well. Uh, visual learners. We talked about that at the at the top. The V in VARC is visual learners. Uh, taking a stroll down the player aid. If there's a good player aid available, print one out from the geek. If there's not, uh, the, the, the great thing about the geek is that there's a good player aid for almost everything. Yep. Print it out, have it for the visual learners, and go down it step by step. Um, food chain magnate has an amazing player aid. I, I could open that menu up. First of all, it's gorgeous looking Ooh. menu. The front page of it goes over the steps of each round. You open it up and you see all of the cards and you see the flow chart of the corporations. It looks fantastic. I can't wait to stare at that and see how things go together. Going down the flow chart so that the visual learners are getting what they need. The auditory learners are getting what they need. Both of them are being dealt with at the exact same time. If you can continually refer to that player aid, people will basically know where to go to to look up that information. Yep. So I think that's a that's a really key thing as well. And I, I will I will get into that when I talk about how to get better at teaching games as well. But an important thing that I do with almost every game is to reteach yourself a game every time before you play it if you're going to be teaching it and you haven't taught it in a while. Yep. And the best way to do that is to go to the geek and print out every game somebody has been generous with their time and put together a uh, condensed rules the version. The rules summary is in, so In one key. page. Print that sucker out. Even if you've never played the game before, go to BG, print it out, and put it in there with the rules. And the next time that you want to teach it, you're not going to have to read the whole rule book. You'll have to read one or two pages. Yep. Done. Um, tough teaches, right? Yeah. We just talked about Oath. Oh. 
What's your least favorite game to teach? It probably is on Mars. Right. On Mars, maybe. All the games in the world. No, 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 no. Okay, my actual hardest game to teach is Here I Stand. Okay. Here I Stand is an absolute beast. It is seven players. Each one is playing a highly asymmetric game, which is completely different, that has a very specific historical context. There is a religious war. There's a physical war going on, and those people have totally different rule sets to play. Uh, That's that's the hardest of of anything. Um, Out of the games that I don't normally think of as being particularly hard to teach, Mm -hmm. I think Brass is a surprisingly tough teach. It is. It's a horrible teach. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a tough one. The connections just are so hard. And then then understanding what's going to happen when the boats disappear, when the canals disappear. Yeah, nobody it, can just just nobody can prepare for that until they've played. I think you can teach. The, I could think you could teach the rules of the game fairly easily. I don't think it's that hard. But to properly get across how to play the game yeah. is a really really tricky thing because it's not quite so evident. And uh, Twilight Struggle has got oh, has, has got some the because of the cards. Yeah. Well, no, it's not even the cards. It's what it is. Is this is what domination is, and this is how it's different than I found presence. that game kind of easy to teach. Um, the difference between a coup and a realignment. Oh, yeah, that's just like you've got the charts, you got the play rates, but yeah, those are things you're just not gonna. You're gonna have to look at the chart a lot your first game until you memorize it. Yeah, exactly right. What about you? What My are you, least what are favorite thinking? teach of all time is probably Fire in the Lake. <laughs> it's a Co- horrible. Coin teach. games are tough. Horrible teaches. Uh, Pax Renaissance is just a horrible teach because it's a game that you can teach the mechanics, but it's like brass. You cannot teach the why of yes. you're doing anything and you just you just have to tell people here's what you're going to do for the next hour and a half just try the actions that i gave you without understanding why you're doing them <laughs> and maybe <laughs> at the end of an hour and a half you will have figured out why you did any of that or what you would do next time that would make those actions make sense because i don't necessarily think anybody can really understand the why of their actions the actions themselves are super easy draw a card, pay yeah. the money. But how does that work? Right? Why, why the hell why, are you doing why, it? Why are you right? doing it? For these or, nebulous victory conditions that don't even exist yet that you can't even fathom what they mean. Or a corollary to that is the, I know I have to do blank, Yeah. but how do I get there yeah. from here? Like what that I'm doing now in any way or shape or form is going to get me closer to that. Here's a funny. Teach. I'll say I felt a little bit about oath. Oath is, oath yeah. is a little bit like that oh, in some ways. Oath is a rough teach. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy that teach. Um, my favorite game of all time, Twa, is famously a tricky teach for people because that multiplication of action times dice is very confusing for people. You can do the action this many times based on the pip number of the dice, and then it's usually then divided by this number in order to, you know, attack the, the, the things that are coming. There's, 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 there's weird, the city cards there's weird such. math you have to do. And, and people just instantly yeah. glaze over when you start going multiply by this, then divide it by this. And they're just like, I'm out. I feel like because the, because that genre has become more acceptable, I think it's become easier yeah. over time because we have more examples of it. But yeah, it is. It's That's a, a game one. that I've, I've taught it to many people and I'm, and, and they just go, I hate this game before we even started playing. Just the teachers burned their So let's go to the opposite side of that. The opposite side of that is the elegant game. And when I say elegant game, elegant to me is the easy teach with the deep game. Concordia is an easy teach. You know what? It is and it isn't. Mm, I think it's so easy. It's easy to teach how to play the game. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but to know oh, how sure. to, to to know how to do to to be able to play it well is okay. super super hard to get that across. Right. But I I totally agree. I think it is it is easy to teach because you just go through the cards in in, in your hand. Here's right. the here's the eight cards. That's the game. That's the game. Yeah. Play a card. Do one of the things Agreed. I just explained. Uh, to me, there is no easier teach to deeper game ratio than Friedrich. Sure, yeah, yeah. The rules for Friedrich are on a playing card. Yeah. Everybody has a playing card. It shows you everything you need to know to play the game, and yet the game is, like, crazy deep. Um, El Grande is another one that is such an amazing game, mm-hmm. and yet probably five minutes, ten minutes to teach the whole thing. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It's about all it takes, which is is really kind of Castles amazing. of Burgundy is pretty pretty simple to teach, too. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That, that, that's You've got good. two dice. Here's the things each die can do. Yeah. Have fun. And there's an ocean to explore there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dice can be used to buy or to place or to sell. That's it. All right. Tell me how you learn a game. Tell me what helps you. All right. So I wrote down a couple of different steps here of how I, how I learn every game. And, and at this point now, I buy a lot of games and I, I, I am just as good at learning how to learn the game than I am at teaching it. Yeah. Like. So yeah, the first yeah. thing I do is um, organizing the game is the first step of learning the game. Punching the game and figuring out where components go, which baggies they go in, and which ones go together is step number one in understanding the game. These are these this, these are not just rule books. These are games with physical components. And as much as you read the rule book and grok it, you will never fully grok it until you've seen all the pieces and understood how they how they line up. Whenever I buy a game, first thing I do is if I've never played it before, I unpackage the game, I put it down on my table with the rule book, and I go over the components as I punch them out, and I under, try to understand what each component is. Now, you have a clean room for this purpose. Do you re- recommend other people have a clean room and use the, <laughs> the filtration yeah, mask, exactly. the gloves? And, yeah. uh, and do you sleeve every component as you pull it out of the box? Yeah, completely naked, uh, just to make sure in case you lose a piece so you can see where everything is at all times. Absolutely. Uh, Super so, important. Yeah, so bright that it burns your corneas. Um, that's key. Yeah. That's key. Uh, yeah. So, uh, organizing Video in the corner, organizing the game is step one to learning it. Then read the rule book and, or watch a video, depending on my, uh, how, how pushed uh, rushed I am. If I have the game night that night and I'm trying to learn a game, I will watch a video. Um, I think we've gone over all of our favorite, uh, board game reviewers and explainers, but BGG has added a nice little tab in their video section called instruction instructional. You know, I don't, I don't think we've, t- I don't think we've given enough credit to, to shut up and sit down. I think, I, I think they are so great at, uh, their teachers are at, great. At, at doing, at doing a teach that is both fun and substantive. Yeah. I think they, they do, they do an amazing job. We also talk about no put included. We've talked about them many times in the past. I, I think Quinn's and, and, and company deserve a, yeah. a little bit of praise from us because they're Absolutely. fantastic. Go ahead. Um, I will watch a rules video. I will watch it at 1.5 or 2.0 speed. Um, and I will watch the video very quickly, uh, you know, on chipmunk mode, uh, and try to grok it really quickly from that. I'll usually stop before the game is played. I'll just watch the teach if it's heavy cardboard or if it's uh, gaming rules or uh, whatever it is, I'll just watch the teach usually at double speed. Then I'll go and read the rule book. I read rule books before I go to bed at night. I have a stack hmm. of rule books by my bedside. I read rule books at night before I go to bed. It's up to you if you want to do that. <laughs> it's what I do. It's how I relax. It's my favorite thing to do at night. I genuinely look forward to it the way some people look forward to waking up and having a cup of coffee. I watch the videos on my phone at the gym on the treadmill. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's that's what I do. Uh, so it is organizing the game is the first step of learning it, watching a video, reading the rules. And the last step is I will always try to set the game up on my table, 
do a full setup for two or three players and play one entire round with two or three dummy hands. I will always try to do that for a game. By that point, I know the game very well. I could teach it very well at that point. Um, and I really, that's, that's, that's my ideal learning situation. You can't always have time for all of that. Um, and sometimes the game is simple enough where you don't need to do that. But for on Mars, that's what I did for really complicated games. I do all those steps. I will set it up on my table. And by the way, the setup of a game is a huge part of learning how to play the game. Oh, yeah. The space, the spatial putting things in the right place. Right. Knowing what the term is for this versus that. Go through the entire setup by yourself before your game night and see how it all lays out, what it's supposed to look like, and then play one dummy round. I guarantee you, even how even if you've read the rulebook and watched a video and you feel like I got this. Halfway through the first round of that game, you will go, oh, man, I'm glad I did this because I did not get half of this game. Oh, Just yeah. actually moving the pieces, going through it, going through a whole round, going through all the actions. It will. It, it's the only way you can guarantee you actually know how to teach it. Um, I will also say this. Now, uh, the, I think the reason Tom and I both love teaching games, and I, and I genuinely love teaching games. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely love it. It's not I put up with it so I can play them. I love it. I would also say, if you do not love teaching games, I don't think you should teach games. No. Now, teach games if you have to. I don't love but all teaches. Like <laughs> we've said, there are games we do not enjoy teaching, but I love teaching games. I get excited to do it. I think it's because the mechanics of it are, 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 are the exact same mechanics of my job, but without the creative drain. It is yeah. just the mechanics of my job being, take something that is in my head, that is fully formed in my head, and put it in your head using only the power of my language. That's my job. That's what that's yeah, what I do. That's what we do. That's all my job is. Take something in my head that only I can see and using only the power of my words, put it in your head exactly how I see it. And that is what teaching a game is. Uh, if you don't love that process, if that doesn't become a game in and of itself, um, then I think you'll find game teaching to be exhaustive to me it actually has made me a better writer it's made me in the same way that you know uh they say if you want to be a novelist uh go write for a newspaper for 10 years and you you will learn the economy of of writing you will learn you will learn how to say what you want to say in the least amount of words possible in the most important in, in the best way you can say it i think learning how to teach a game does the same thing i mean it really has shaped the way that I look at structuring scenes and the way, and, and just Certainly getting information. Expo scenes become yeah, a absolutely. Lot just getting yep. information across. I, I feel I've gotten so good at just getting information across into somebody's brains in, in, in a way that works for them. Um, I think for me, I, I'm just going to say there's something only slightly different, which is um, my evangelistic impulses mm. uh, that I have are, uh, stymied and stifled in screenwriting a lot Mm -hmm. right uh uh, producers spend a lot of time pulling messages out of things that i write sometimes Mm -hmm. you know uh uh, for one reason or another that uh becoming an evangelist for games like part of my zeal and interest in teaching games is i know something amazing and i want to share it with you yeah yeah, yeah. and i can't wait to 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 share it with you and and to bring you in here and it's going to be a little tricky it's going to be a little difficult but trust me when you get to the other side of it it's going to be amazing and and i love that and that's something that that um in my writing career so far is is something that is something i always try to to do but is is often uh stymied yeah thwarted totally um just as we said to have some compassion and understanding for and respect for your game teachers mm-hmm. 
as a game teacher, have respect for the people who have driven to your house and are putting themselves in your hands and want to learn a game. Prepare before every game night. Yep. Figure out what you're going to be playing that night, even if it could be a couple different things. And just pull out the rule books of all those books the day before and just skim through them. Make sure that you remember the stuff. Make sure that you can, you know, just, just, can I reteach this? No. And that's when those condensed rules files on BGG become very useful. Oh yeah. Just, just go over the day before. Don't do it. Don't, don't pull out the box and then go, all right, guys, let me just uh, look through the rules real quick and remember how to play this. Don't do that. Don't waste people's time. Be ready. Uh, The example that I used at Essen. Don't do what I did with that Madeira game that one time. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do. Don't break out in a cold sweat and go, I I forgot everything. Don't do what I did in Virsin Das Volk. (laughs) Playing a game at a convention when you've literally just learned it is a painful experience for me. I go through it. I get through it. But it's something I hate to do. And I think that. Too often, uh, we find our we fall into a situation where we end up doing that, and it's not great for the teacher. It's yep. not great for the learners. It's not great for anybody. Yeah, avoid it when you can. Um, Tom and I put a ton of work into teaching games. We put a, an absurd amount of energy and effort into it, and we don't do it because uh, we want to be thanked. We do it because we love learning games. Um, so, if that is something that you naturally want to do. Um, you should be the game teacher in your world. We need more. We need more. Um, And if you are not a game teacher and don't enjoy it and you hate parsing that information out and figuring out how to explain it to others, don't do it. (laughs) You you will probably deter more people from the hobby than than create more. Yeah. Buy games for the person that will teach them. Yeah. Bring snacks. I yes. Bring a positive and sunny disposition, yeah. and uh, you know, and and encourage the people that will do the teach. And uh, yeah, and, and and look, I always say if this, I always say, guys, this one's a beast. Yeah. Phones down and pay attention and tell me right now if you're not down for this. This is four hours with a one hour teach, and it's heavy as balls if you're out say it now why'd you say phones down why'd you have to bring that up why'd you have to bring that <laughs> don't up don't look at your phone you know, when people are teaching you because you know game. i want to talk about that but i don't want to sound like an old fogey and yeah. yet well it's, it's rude i mean just or just say like it's okay if, if look it happens in our in our current game makeup who is the person most likely to be the person with their phone up alfred Oh, but, yeah, but he's, he's not, not here. Current, he's not but here. That, but Alfred also usually has already played the games. So if you've already <laughs> played the games, it's fine. Look at your phone. Why? Go, go, leave. If you, you know, go okay. get a sandwich. Alfred, Alfred's in Boston. So who is it now? I don't know. It's me. Probably. Yes, it is you. Yeah, but but I, but, but <laughs> I'm very rarely being taught a game, so it's fine. <laughs> I wouldn't do it during a teach. Uh, have you done it during during a teach? You because have. I probably read the rules already. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bad influence on others. Maybe, all right. Maybe. Any last points you got? No, that's it. Like, just, you know, be nice to your teachers. Think about that. All the steps I just told you, the amount of hours it takes to learn one game. And next time you show up to a game night and somebody's teaching you a game, realize they put in all of that effort for you and for them. It's selfish. They love it probably, but you know, respect that and um, give them the attention and uh, you know, um, look, the ideal player for me is somebody who who re- watched the rules the night before and knows seventy five percent of it and just goes, "Give me just a quick refresh." I love that. Which I for the tough games, that's one thing I definitely do. I yeah. I had made sure that for eighteen sixty two, that everyone had watched the video, that had read the rule book, 
so that going in the teach wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. And it still needed the teach because it's a, it's a, I don't think game. that's a relevant point of, I don't think that's a, a useful tip for people though, is tell your gamers to learn no. the game because everybody learns in different ways. Sure. Get really good at teaching and then sure. you won't need that. But, but it is true that in some edge cases in some particularly difficult yeah. games, sometimes getting people when they come to game night to have a little bit of, and by the way, there are people out there that are going to come to your game night that would love to have heads up as what we're going to play so that they Absolutely. can do their own little education. Trey is like that. Trey always prefers to know in advance. He would love to read the rules the night before yeah. for a complicated game. He's super into that. Which is fantastic. Why, why not? Why not? Paul that does that them? all Help the time. What that. are we playing tonight? I, I have time to watch a video. He'll text me. He'll just say, what are we playing tonight? I have an hour or so to watch a video. Let me know. I, Maddie, love I love 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 chatting with you we are we are way over two hours this is i great. thought this is going to be an hour and a half i, well, I we didn't say, get an app last week so we're we're, we're giving we, we only got a short little uh yeah. solo mode so you know we're giving you we're giving you your money's worth here and yeah. by your money's worth we mean you pay nothing for this <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and being able to play games with you twice this week i just want to let you know you are very much missed oh thank you you I, are I, I a I really joy miss you all and not just because we play games together, but because I, I genuinely love you all and you are my best friends. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group. We have a Discord channel. We get a lot of activity on both of those settings. Please get us board game sommelier questions. We're always looking for good ones. We got some good ones. We're going to have some coming up. And uh, let's just end it right now. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at Game Brain. Oh, Daedalus. Daedalus. At GameBrainPod.com. And you can use us at email by reaching us at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends. Go make some games with friends. <laughs> you messed it up. Friends with games.